Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 319. And we got a two cup of coffee day today. Actually, two pot of coffees. I so hope everyone packed have, a lunch. That's right. We got uh, reports from, from BoatFest, VCF Southwest. We got a Brian Weasler showing. And a few other things going on, too. And some game on results. So, let's see who we got on the panel so far today. Starting in the lower center, we have Alan, Exile in Paradise. Howdy, howdy. He's mixing it up today. Yeah, just to just to, just to shake some things up here. I'm just waiting uh, for him to mess up because it's all on Robert. He's going to put people in twice, skip other people. Go ahead. Everybody move, <laughs> quick. Now, so, what I do is I push this little button over here, and then now everybody's screen's the same as mine. Oh. All right. Next up, we got Nick Marentes. Oh, I'm not on the bottom for once. That's right. We're <laughs> going. To, we're going the other direction because everything's all upside down today anyway. Ah, uh, we're doing it the right way, so I can get off my head now. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, welcome everyone. <laughs> and then now everybody's wondering what direction will I go next? Let's go, Ken Waters. Howdy, howdy. All right. Next up, Rick Uland. Oh, okay. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And then yours truly. Next up, uh, Brian Shubring, the music man. Hello, hello, hello. Okay. Hey, and Brian. David Ladd. Well, hello, everyone. And I hope you're ready for this interesting show we're going to have today. Everything is all scattered all over the place. That's right. Uh, let's see. Next over, Brian Weasler. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. All right. And then next up, we got Sloopy Malibu. Finally, you're right side up. Yeah. I... Greetings, and... everyone. L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay. And last row, we got Mark Overhoser. Finally. Uh -huh. Glad to be here. Okay. And then Ron Delvo. Been 110 outside today. Not exactly right now, but it's a dry heat. Yeah, we're not far behind you. And last but not least, Jason Cocoman.biz. I'm just trying to get my get my podcast uh, tuned in here. Looks like uh, you're on the space station. I may yes, I'm <laughs> I'm 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 floating around in space. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Coco's He's in the airlock at the moment. Space. Okay. And just to rub it in, I should mention Franklin Harris of uh, Retro Rewind is in the chat. He says, sailing the Atlantic, listening to the Cocoa Nation, woohoo. And he sent me pictures to prove it, so. We're sorry. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. Speaking of the chat, we've got scroll, scroll, scroll. And forgive me, my finger hurts today. I hit the cat earlier. Um, <laughs> Luffy, you look like the wizard. Wizard of Oz. So, let's see. We got, uh, what do we got going on here? Uh, CRT, Exile, Marco Twitch, Sixy, Kevin Holloway. Marco, Alan, Mikey. Uh, I'm going to call him Mr. Flex from now on. That's right. (laughs) Mr. Uh, Flex. The real Mr. Evil Dead. Tom Eric Anderson. Mark Siegel has joined us. Coco Living. Can Can Make It. Dave and Sharon Veery. Yep, there's Frank in the chat. He's at the wrong boat fest. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have we had any update from Mr. Gimes? No, Uh, I think he's still on vacation. Is he? Um, A vacation in his own mind. He's he's out sailing on the ocean of the mind. (laughs) I was going to say of mediocrity, but that's close enough. (laughs) I should show Wait. you the thing I made for Frank. Describes his show to me. Since we're talking about him. Okay, this this is worthy of a uh, oh, spotlight. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. so so I was thinking about, you know, the teachings of that great Canadian philosopher, um, R. Green. And uh, since no one finds me very handsome, I figured I should be handy. So I made this. Oh, there you go, Frank. There's, there's your solution to your Thanks. hand being buggered up here. Combination crash helmet and soldering iron, and then when you're done, you don't need the soldering iron. Rip it off. You still got the crash helmet. You won't need to. (laughs) And you look like a Marvel superhero at the same time, Frank. This just looks like it's you know, it's just made for you. There you go. Bonus for the duct tape. (laughs) Always. You know that that gives me an idea. You know, with the price of cocoa threes these days, you know, maybe if I just get a cocoa one and two and duct tape those together. (laughs) Mister Ironhead. (laughs) Is this what happens on Canada Day? <laughs> By the way, Rick, uh, Frank says, that's awesome. <laughs> he also says we need a beer holder as well. <laughs> yeah, like the oh, old uh, Bill Murray the the two, with, the with the siphons right into the mouth, yeah. Well, you get, you get one of those side holders, and that's where you can store your flux. <laughs> Just don't drink out of the wrong nozzle by accident. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah. It's not good. Also, too, uh, before... Let's see. Also, too, before we get started, you mentioned Mikey's name and uh, his interview on last week's show. If you didn't catch it, uh, you should go back and listen to that. Uh, he's done a really good job with that project on the flex there and stuff like that. And the videos that he's done, it's uh, it's it's really good. I liked it. Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, a quick question for Mikey. You can answer in the chat. Um, I, I did a comment on this show um, on the YouTube comments page here. I don't know if anybody saw it. Uh, but I was asking him if he's actually looked into Uniflex because he said one of the reasons that uh, Flex kind of disappeared is that, you know, uh, OSI came out with multi-user multitasking. Uniflex did the same thing. That was a multi-user multitasking version of Flex. Now, it wasn't as popular. It wasn't as compatible. Uh, so there's some issues with it. But it did come out and it actually had some stuff ported to it, like Dynaspell and Dynastar and stuff. And, um, I was wondering if he's aware of that. Anyway. Yeah, he's been doing wonderful work with the Flex stuff. Thank you, Mikey. Okay. Six eagles, mm, rosin. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a soldering term, right? I have no idea what that is. Yes, that's like rosin. Mikey says, yes, 
Mikey says he has looked at Uniflex before, so yes, someday. Yeah, I don't know if there was a Cocoa version of that. I think that was just for like the SW TPC. He's been working on another secret project that uh, is also awesome. I can't wait to see the videos for So, Uniflex. Is is it utility related? Uh, There could be a certain utility to it. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Say no more. Ooh, foreshadowing. (laughs) Okay. So we have had panel introductions. We've been introduced to the chat room. We're all jealous that uh, Frank's on a cruise. Um, that's We're not jealous that he has to listen to us, oh. but, you know. Yeah, I don't know why you'd want to ruin your cruise like... that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go go visit the buffet. Don't listen to us. Yeah, What's you'd, wrong you'd, with you? You figure you're trying to fend off seasickness already as it is here. Why would you want to add to it, right? Well, better yet, I think you should go and just pipe this through the entire ship for everybody to listen to. <laughs> well, and then on top of it, so we're being delivered probably through expensive satellite delivered internet. Wow, you know, and and that's the end of that cruise line. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's on a ship in the northern Atlantic. Isn't yep, that up by where Newfoundland? The Titanic, isn't that yes. where the Titanic was? Yeah, I, I will mention, and, and hopefully Frank's okay with this because when he first went, he was in PEI, Prince Edward Island. Because uh, he left there a little bit earlier this week, but he was actually watching the Coast Guard stuff come in with the remains from that uh, submersible that went down the Titanic and imploded. But they were actually bringing in, you know, pieces and bits of it uh, while he was there and took a couple pictures of it. I mean, I'm thinking it might not be a good idea to be sailing in that area. Well, Frank not just having, said in not chat, having good luck. Frank said that, he's, he, that we are just sailing uh, down from Halifax to PEI. It's in chat there. Okay. Nova Scotia to PA. Yeah. Not on the big cruise yet. No. No. So I, so he must be able to get land-based internet at that point, I'm hoping. Yeah. And he picked us. I'm, I'm sorry, Frank. Of all the things you could have picked on YouTube, you picked us, Frank. I don't know how to take that. Yeah. Wasting his bandwidth. I think he must have been wearing Patrick's or Rick Ulan's, uh, you know, soldering helmet there but he, i think he had the soldering iron facing the wrong way or something maybe it affected his brain that's all i can think of and accidentally you taped still the soldering can... iron to the inside of the helmet yeah, yeah. That, that's how you catch your hair on fire you could do that even with a helmet <laughs> by the way you can tell that this is that soldering iron is a radio shack product oh five pinned in <laughs> exactly <laughs> i know what would happen if you'd plug that into a citizens band radio mm. So can we get those helmets on computerconnect.com? Yeah, there you go. You can even offer with different colors of duct tape to individualize it. And and the optional cup holders, yes. The plaid one will be for the red-green model. And Can you stick a Tandy badge on there somewhere? (laughs) Maybe a Wayu badge, too? What the heck? (laughs) Comes in a box wrapped in duct tape. Some about OS 9. Yeah, I mean, you can put all kinds of patches and stuff over it. Anyway, I'll talk to you after the show about that. <laughs> Today on Feature Creep. So, uh, so Curtis, how was Boat Fest? Tell us about it. I, I'm not going to. I'm going to let Ken do it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was at Boat Fest last year, so this is my second one, and I want a fresh perspective and somebody not quite as long-winded as I am. So it was, was good. Gonna- <laughs> Here we go, Dunstan. You know, the VCF. No, just kidding. All right. Just... In- incidentally, folks, Twitch doesn't have any video now. Does anyone else I've got see that? Video on Twitch. Yeah, I got video. Oh. Yeah, video is on Twitch. It's fine here. 
Oh, they okay. haven't missed anything, have they? <laughs> and I like to really. thank Ken Waters for his review of Vo- Boat Fest. Very clear and concise. <laughs> yeah. It was good, yeah. It yeah, was, it was good. good. It was fun. The pizza was great. Yes, that I have to agree with. <laughs> so some of the desserts they imported from the UK and stuff. Did you like encounter 10 any? Pounds. Did you encounter any hurricanes in Hurricane West Virginia? Well, we did learn one thing. Never trust your GPS in Hurricane West Virginia. Yeah, they actually have signs apparently that tell you this. And there's some stories and stuff happened there. I don't know if I want to mention those in particular because I, I don't know if the guys got everything resolved yet. So at any rate, I gotta find the right. I've got so many darn browsers here. I think this is Rob O'Hara's. If you see back to robohair.com at the top, then yes. I'm pointing the right one. So I've got multiple galleries here from various people at, at BoatFest. And I, as I mentioned before, I'm going to let Ken describe or pick pictures that he wants me to zoom up uh, to oh, give a God. fresh perspective on it. Well, there's that wonderful picture of some guy wearing 3D glasses. Okay, I can pick that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was looking at the other one where it's you. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> No, we had a whole bunch of systems set up there for playing. So uh, I don't what it, what is there to say? But it was uh, kind of like just a, a party at somebody's house, getting together to play a bunch of games. Um, uh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of dinners involved. This is one that we yeah. weren't at because this was the night before we got there. But yeah. Could I just ask what that pole is for? Which to hold the roof up. Yeah. It was a very interesting building we were in. It's oh. a load-bearing it, pole. Was, was the pole was holding the it? roof up. The pole was holding the roof up, but I think it was also pushing the floor down. Just to give you a perspective here, and I'll let Ken describe it, but this is the venue and how you got in. Yeah. You had to walk oh, wow. up the uh, ramp to the second floor. Um very difficult uh, for anybody that was drinking at the event to get back down. Well, actually not that difficult. You just fell down and rolled. Was this a firehouse? No, this was a bar originally. This was, a, yeah, this was actually, it was a um, above an old bar. So but, there's uh, no elevator to call, have the fire department have to come about. No. What what elevator? <laughs> nope, yeah, exactly. No elevator. So there's no elevator for the fire department to uh, have to attend to. Oh. No, and, this uh, this this building is old and dilapidated. Like the the the, the floor kind of curves around and stuff. Yeah, and Frank Frank was actually in the perfect spot because he was the low point. So everybody was just naturally drawn over to his <laughs> table to uh, pay him to do stuff. Gravity assist. Yep. Um. Yeah. yeah there's. Uh, those were all auction items. Um. Just some apples, some Commodores. Uh, Atari still trying. A bunch of Apple uh, manuals and stuff. I recognize all those. <laughs> Every one of them. A lot of uh, discs. Some were uh, originals and others were off-site backups. These are boats pictures, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I don't know. What were some of the really... Uh, this, this was a cool one here. Do you remember what this was? Uh, no, actually, I never went to try that ga- computer out. Oh, they're, they're doing something with the camera there. That's a video Vita toaster. Vita. Yeah, video, video toaster. toaster. By New Tech. And the person who created the video toaster is the same guy who wrote Coco Max 
on the cocoa. He started on the cocoa first. And when See, you that's got why you're better at this, though, because you that's know these how facts. Babylon 5 got rendered. Yep. And what I remember I seeing the demo for this at Comdex. It was pretty impressive. But this was actually running live, and you actually could do the editing. All three monitors hooked up the same Amiga. The middle one is your Did controls. Did like, wave on it? Uh, I the don't 3D modeler? Know. I'm not we sure. Have. Yeah. Where do you put the Pop-Tarts? In that <laughs> slot in the front to the right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's labeled CD for Pop Tarts. Yeah, a little tray <laughs> comes out. You put the Pop Tart in. Wonderful. But yeah, basically, it's, it's a it's a video system that you can capture live video and then overlay effects or you know manipulate the video live while it's running. I remember the Comdex demo. They had a bunch of us seated in rows on a camera, which is what they're kind of showing on the right hand side here. And they actually did a Star Trek dissolve in one of the people in the audience. And since they'd taken a picture previously with the chair empty, it just did it. You'd look over the person's there. You'd look up in the screen, and they're gone. Type thing like it's pretty, pretty impressive stuff. Uh, Frank says it did have Lightwave on it, so that would be exactly how uh, Babylon Five was put together. Was that little setup plus nine more Amigas behind it to feed off to do the actual rendering of the frames overnight? And all yeah. running uh, accelerator cards. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm, what's the guy's name? I, I was thinking David Stamp, but that's the guy who did Cocomax too. It's um, uh, Tim Jennison, was it? Yeah, no. Tim Jennison. Yeah, the guy who also yeah, did the Vermeer's yeah. uh, painting uh, yeah, documentary. So yeah. he's he's a fascinating guy. I've seen some interviews he's done in some uh, major league podcasts, and uh, he he does mention Cocomax because that was something he was very proud of, and it was a huge seller. It was a thing that kind of helped be. sell the cocoa. It was one of our killer apps, to be honest. Yep. He, he'd be good to have as an interview to talk about the Coco. Yeah, good Max. luck getting him. <laughs> yeah, I figured. You might as well ask, you know, like, you know, the president of Sweden to come on or something. But we did have the okay. mayor of Hurricane came by. I will mention that. Yep. Did you do, do you have a picture of that one? He posed uh, with everybody and he walked around and he talked to uh, everybody about uh, the computers he used to have. So this this he's, guy here, he thinks he's the mayor. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not really the mayor. I thought it was going to be one of those small places where maybe he actually was the mayor and that would be hilarious. <laughs> the mayor was quite it... excited to have this gathering in their town. So how big a town is Hurricane? Oh, SX 65 or 6,000, I think. Oh, so there's a BBC size. micro. Which one is it? Um, oh, shoot, I forget now. Tandy Model 102 with the Inafuto games ported to it. The first time I got to see those run. Actually, it's not a bad yeah. little gaming machine. Nice. And then uh, the uh, Naboo, also there. Spray oh, one. Where did they? On the right. This one? Same pose. Yeah. Oh, right there. Yeah. The Naboo. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no Gungans? <laughs> and what's on the back? I think that's an Atari on the back, facing away from us. Atari ST, I believe, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's... just an Atari. We don't need to talk, to yeah, talk about cares? that. <laughs> Here's the auction uh, filling up. There's even a Coco One that went on sale. It was Rob Flack O'Hare's uh, Coco One. And um, yeah, somebody I know ended up with that. Yeah, you'll have to tell us about that later. I haven't even uh, hooked it up yet. Lots of desserts. So I'll see if I can find pictures of those. They're running Load Runner there. I'm just trying to find. What we're looking, we're looking for a specific. Some, there was definitely some oh, here's awesome the shirts there. Oh, there's the mayor. Yeah. Who's a bit of a, a retro geek himself, which was kind of cool. He uh, grew up yeah. with Ataris and stuff back, like computers, not video game consoles. Back is he in the on day the left too, or so. the right? He looks a lot like Boat. <laughs> He's the one that's not Boat. <laughs> oh, oh, so and Boat's a fair bit older than Boat either? too. So Boat's a pup. 
Can you imagine Boat as the mayor? There we go. <laughs> I'm sure he's shooting for it at this point. It's that's I think it's that small of a town. That would be funny if it was like the mayor and like, you know, they had like five different positions in the government because it's just such, such a small place. So here's a group on the first day, I think it was. And there was a slightly yeah. different group of people on the second day. So we had people from Australia, we had people from the UK, Europe, uh, Canada, and the States. So it was a pretty wide ranging place. I'm trying to find uh, the fellow Aussie of Nick here, Graham W. Bebke. He's actually a member of our Discord as well. I don't know if oh. he's in this picture. It's one of Nick's neighbors, right? Yeah. There. Don't see him there. Oh, there he is. He's right beside, behind Boat here, right there. Oh, hiding. Right beside you, Ken, actually. Yeah. <laughs> just look for the one that's upside down. So did he make the trip to Hurricane just because, or was he just in the area? Well, he did a, a two-week holiday. He went to uh, Vancouver first for a few days, the and he went to Chicago. Then he went to Hurricane, then he went to Seattle, and then he flew back. I think he's actually, I don't think he's even back yet. I think he's going no, back I think later he, today. Yeah. He would have just finished his trip to Seattle. Yeah, because he was posting drinks from the airport uh, on the Discord that the Amigos have this morning. So I'm, I think he had a 15-hour flight, so he's probably in the air right now. So half a boat fest apparently is on holidays right now. Graham's, you know, flying back and Frank's out on a boat and we're stuck here on YouTube. Sorry. Oh, and Sixy said that that was a uh, BBC Master. Master, system. that was what I was trying to remember which version of the BBC was. There's Frank breaking doctor's orders and trying to solder. Or actually, at this point, just test, testing stuff. And there's me pretending like I know something about hardware. And, and Jason, <laughs> who was actually doing a lot of the repairs and stuff. Wait, that's a SX sixty four. Actually, actually, there was there was like three SX sixty fours there, and this is where Curtis Beautiful. spent most of his time, as you can see, playing on the Commodore sixty four. Yep. Yeah, I was admiring how their Curtis really I was admiring how their retro rewind demo was far inferior to the one I wrote for the Coco three. But anyway, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's like, don't lost. take a picture of me <laughs> playing on this. Don't take a picture of me. It is portable though. We have yeah, thirty pounds. Curtis is just a reliable. Curtis is keeping up with Commodore. Yep. Yep. And caught red handed with a 65. Just just checking to see how far ahead of the competition we are. That's all. <laughs> Here's uh, one of the big uh, suppers we had where we filled literally half the restaurant. And was... I, from my understanding, we didn't book it ahead either. We just wandered in and took over. Took it over. <laughs> That's how you do that. Yeah. And here's the the venue. So you got in through the back. The front end is faces the street, and that's part of the where the bar is closed type thing. So you just go up the yeah, stairs. Yeah, the and... bar the bar was on the bottom floor, entered from the front, and then this, I guess, meeting Convention hall was center? on the. Is that a car park at the back? It's a small it's one. A small one, yeah. Yeah. Or Although honestly, we... in Hurricane, you can park pretty much anywhere and still walk yeah, to the venue. Much. The Tandy One Thousand. TL. Now, yeah. Now this this was fun though. I sucked at it. Ken, you want to explain what that game was? Okay, so we were playing some newer version of Detroit Asteroids, kind of on. It was like a. It was six, like Asteroid Space Race four, or or Mega yeah, Race kind of four four or six player um, tournament on the Switch, where it was uh, kind of a new version of Asteroids, and you're just basically trying to kill each other. And I have to say, oh. I, I I never played modern games. Well, let's not say modern. I, you know, anything from the Nintendo on, like with the pads. 
I've always played joystick games because that's what I grew up with. And by the time those came out, I was I was a bit more into quote unquote serious programming. So trying to actually run one of these miniaturized Nintendo style things, I had a terrible trouble. I couldn't remember what button was what from one right. second to the next. So in the chat, Tom Eric Gunderson, he's absolutely correct. Those stairs scream for Donkey Kong paint job. <laughs> yeah, they do. Don't they? They need girders. <laughs> wow, geez, why didn't you think of that? We could have did that at the show. <laughs> Doggone it. Yeah, there's next year. Yeah. But th- this is kind of an international contingent here because this is Graham from Australia. This is, I think his name's Peter from the UK. This is, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? I know Boat's making a, a photo with all the names. Everybody uses nicknames in this this community. There's very few people that use the real names. And that's Pac Billy, I think, on the... No, that's Pac Billy up here. That's Petzl over here. And I'm trying to remember his name, darn it. He's the one who had that kind of hacked CD32 thing. Yeah. You remember, Ken? I can't remember his name, no. I'm horrible with names. Yeah, so am I. This is one of the game competitions where you'd come by and play. Uh, this was Astro Blaster. Um, which is an arcade game I was familiar with. And then I, it kept whipping off the screen. Like if you didn't beat the high score, you couldn't see what your score was like two seconds. It was kind of like that one game on challenge when we had recently where you had to like really catch it at the right time to catch a score. So I didn't submit a score because I couldn't remember what the hell it was. Frank said Mobius. Ah, okay. The guy with those guys in CD32. Wait, who's Frank? <laughs> TV's Frank, man. And here's that game we were just talking about uh, in action. Yeah. So basically, it kind of zooms in and zooms out. And you, Ken, you probably describe better than me because you're a better game player than I am. Um, except that you uh, kicked my butt. Yeah, but that was game. by fluke. <laughs> I, honestly, I had no yeah, idea what you, it was doing. You basically just got a little bit of a maze there, and you just try to shoot each other. There's power-ups to get, and you blow up the guy's ship, and then you have to kill the pilot as he's floating around in space. Yeah, so it was a get, lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was it was a nice competitive game, and they had a whole round robin tournament type thing going through it. And of course, you know, none of us made it, but <laughs> base dodgeball, kinda like the first levels look kind of like a mega race because you're running around a, a sort of a grid, but then they get much more complicated. The walls and stuff moves. There's these weird energy things that come in. Is that what they were, Ken? Coming in from Gravity. the sides that kill you? Oh, um, yeah. There's just like I don't know, big laser things that. If you if you're taking too long on a level, these it just closes on you and kills you. Yeah. So they had, they had multiple game scoring competitions. I didn't actually try them all because I just was too busy yakking with people. But um, but everything's interactive. Like everything is set up except for the auction items. It's basically set up for everybody to play. Like it's not yeah. like museum pieces. Take a look and you can oh don't touch. It's like you know get in there and play some games. So I actually got one here of Ken, and you were playing oh. an Apple II. Which one was this? Oh, uh, Karate Champ or Karateka or Karate something on the Apple II. Karateka. Karate. Yeah. And in the background, you can see me on the other side because that's where Aaron's Coco 3 was set up on the Sunday. And I was using the 3D glasses to play Warp Fighter 3D by Steve Bjork, which actually a lot of the people there had never seen a 3D glasses game on a, a 8-bit machine before. So they were impressed. Unfortunately... And the reason I think these things didn't really take off, we were running on a composite monitor. And of course, every composite monitor TV is slightly different on the tint, et cetera. And the glasses, you have to pretty well tune them like for the right shade of blue and the right shade of red. Otherwise, it doesn't give you the full effect. So it wasn't perfect. It was enough to give a 3D effect, but not perfect. And any of you who tried it at Coco Fest, 
I think it's a bit better with RGB because that's a bit more consistent. But this is one of the reasons I think because I know 80 Micro and a couple of Coco magazines did do some 3D stuff. I think Hot Coco did as one as well with these blue green or or oh, sorry blue red or green red glasses. But if the tint controls in your TV are a little off, it doesn't work quite as well. And everybody's TV back then was different, so that's the reason I think it didn't really take off because you couldn't get a consistent user experience. Now with RGB, you pretty well can. You just have to make sure the glasses, the the colors of the plastic exactly matches whatever colors you're picking for the thing and then you should theoretically even be able to do like you know darkening stuff like dark blue medium blue etc to change the uh, darkness of the stuff you're seeing as well as the three-dimensional effect and uh that's an abu up and running i think right no that's not the yep. no uh that's an adam adam right i should recognize by the uh Big box there. There's the video toaster again. This was an auction item. Uh, this is, um, I think it was Boat's originally. Yeah. Boat had uh, picked that up and he modified it and put a bunch of different games on it. So, And I know the ongoing joke, uh, one of the people there, Rob O'Hare, and we'll go back to his pictures in a second here too, but he uh, rented a uh, a camper, a truck camper thing, fairly Wonderful. large one. Motorhome, yeah. And uh, the joke was they measured this out to make sure it would fit in the stand-up shower in the back so they could haul it back if he won the auction on it. He didn't, but I was just going to wonder where they were going to go to the bathroom because it was a two-day trip for them back. And this is when uh, Brent and Aaron were doing the live ARG Presents on Sunday morning. Saturday was, morning. Or, was that Saturday morning? Yeah, you may Sunday be morning, we're packing up. Right. Yeah, that's right. They started a day early compared to last year. So I'm glad you're here, Ken, because I would have forgot all this stuff. But that was fun because Brent kind of did an impromptu thing that Aaron wasn't expecting and just, you know, it was chaos. It was great. Yep. It's up on it YouTube. Was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Definitely watch that episode. Yeah. How many Dallas Quest mentions were there? Uh, there was at least one, I remember. It's always fun to watch Aaron cringe whenever he says Dallas Quest. And I was mentioning about taking over half the restaurants. So everything on this side of this wall here on this side is all Boat Fest attendees. And the other side is regular people. Normies, as we call them. This was a uh, Thai place. Yep. Awesome food. This was, this was really yeah. good. I, one thing I have to say about the trip there, the pizza place was just down the street from the venue. And the Thai place is some of the best food I've had in several years, to be honest. It was uh, really, really good. And this is a, a kind of a shared uh, thing for winning some of the game score competitions, was it? Yeah. Ken? Um, That's Mitsuyama. Well, That's no, his this, name this was, They both won uh, different competitions, except that... Uh, they just shared the one prize because the one guy had already taken the prize back to his hotel room. Oh, right, 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 right. And then these are pictures from the second day. Yeah, there's the official photo of the attendees. Not quite, because they photoshopped uh, Boat right up here because Boat took the picture. <laughs> oh, did they? Yeah, I think Brent did that. I was trying to hide behind the pole, but I'm much too fat now to fit behind it. So that didn't work <laughs> at all. Back in the old days, it would have. So who did the dancing on the pole? Not me. 
David and here's very cat. This, this here's Boat's right? basement, and he actually had some of the guests from Boat Fest come by to you know check it out. But you can see this is actually where some of the stuff is shot for the uh, Amigos stuff, and uh, it's got a lot of cool stuff in the background there, as you'll notice. As does Aaron in his place. You know, stand up Neo Geo cabinets and you know retro computers on shelves in the walls, and a whole bunch of posters and. So you'll recognize the background of every time Boat joins us on the air here. Yep. That is where the magic happens. That is where the magic happens. Yep. Okay, so that covers Boat's picture. So I'll go back to Rob O'Harris here. If you see anything that jumps out at you, uh, Ken, just tell me which one to bring up. Oh, this, um, this this here was an interesting one because it was a new release of some sort, this thing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that was um, a game that is uh, still in beta testing, I think, for the uh, the 32-bit uh, the Sega CD or... or uh, no, that's the Amiga. The, the, the Commodore CD32. Yeah, that's what I it's called. I really like the googly eyes on the monitor. Yeah, I asked him about that. His wife put googly eyes on all of his retro stuff. Sort of an identifying marker. That's his version of Apple tags. No, to let her know that uh, she's watching him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. There was a, there was an actual. Uh, it's a, you know, yeah, beta. the game is kind of a Robotron type game. Isn't it kind of two games combined? I yeah, it's got two games. There's one that's kind of a Robotron style game, and the other one is. Uh, Asteroids or something? No, it's more of an exploratory one where you have to uh, go through rooms and collect things and figure figure out how to you know get through like energy beams and stuff and yeah. And you notice this tablecloth, which I totally missed when I was there, and Boat did too until he saw the picture. But uh, it's it's kind of like eight bit graphics. Yep, it's kind of cool. Anything on page I should jumps out at you there? Oh, um, here. Auction table as it filled up a yeah. bit more. Hey, there's my Coco One. <laughs> and my Odyssey 500. I now, the Odyssey 500, the is that the original Odyssey, like the 1972 style one? It's a pong one. Again, I have not really done much with, like, I haven't really even, I haven't even really unpacked it since I got home, so. Is that an Acer 1201? Where? Where? Sitting on top of the cocoa. Oh. Maybe. Something. Yeah, something it's like that. It's an Acer that. something. That's the mm -hmm. one that uh, Rob O'Hara used as his uh, streaming computer for years. Yeah, when he was first started podcasting, that's right. So uh, the uh, thing was to bid on that just in case he left his credit card numbers on it. <laughs> yeah, <I was> like... <laughs> Down the bottom left here, you can see there's a PC one which actually came with the printer interface and the leather carrying case for it. So another Terry Sadie Raider Shack. And this was uh, at the top here. This was a uh, arcade dual stick with multiple button yeah, boards. One for... of those at games uh, arcade stick things. Yeah. And if you're into Nintendos and Genesis stuff like that, they had all those game packs, like eight to 10 games in a pack, and they went pretty cheap. So, yeah. You wanted to top up your video game collection there. This was an excellent place to do it. 
They were selling uh, you know, posters and magnets and all of your boat fest memorabilia. And um, let's see what else do we have here? There's the infamous wheel from ARG Presents. Yep. For those of you One of the things the that they uh, had there was uh, that the Brent had made up is um, trading cards. And what he did is, is he took and he uh, cut out uh, the trading cards and fit them into the wheel. And then uh, when they did ARG Presents, that he spun it and uh, made Aaron answer questions about... <laughs> I like Whatever the fact, too, that this is the one time I've seen Brent manipulating the wheel, too, so he'd pick it on something he wanted to bug his brother about. I think he was just manipulating it from something that they had already done. <clears throat> I think oh, okay. he, he hit every space except for, like, two of them, I think, on the wheel. And I really like their Ouija board mouse pad. There's the camper we are talking about that uh, Rob rented. That the air conditioning didn't work in? Yeah, I had a few issues. Okay, and this is Peter, I believe is his real name. That's uh, Pajaco6502, I think is his handle. And he actually, because he'd never been to Erekin before, and, and he's I think it's only the second time he might have been to the States. Uh, he took a lot of pictures. Around. So for those of you wondering what Hurricane looks like, I mean, this is basically a lot of smaller roads. A little bit of hills, kind of like very small mountains, I guess you could almost call it. A lot of... Uh, and if you're following stones. your GPS, it'll make you turn into somebody's driveway. Yeah, or into the craters West of the moon, one of the two. Well, West Virginia is known as the Mountain State. It's also wild and wonderful. So this is one I'd never seen before. The Oregon Trail is a little portable handheld computer. I'd not seen that before. Yeah. I've got one sitting in Vancouver right now. Yeah, this is a cool sign. This is just down the street from the venue. No <laughs> MC10 there, huh? Nope. I know that I saw. But if so you're blind, blind how are you supposed to read that sign? So is Blind Wizard a business or yes? <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> but take it out of context. <laughs> just for just only blind wizards can use only the dumpster. <laughs> he, he's a wizard, he doesn't need to see. So. If you want a dumpster dive, you have to be a blind wizard, is basically what it's trying to tell you. <laughs> the blind wizard was the uh, business right next door to where we were. Yeah. This is some of the desserts they brought in, no charge for the people attending. They were yeah. all jammed in there, weren't they? And these two, these were really good cupcakes. There was the vanilla and the chocolate ones with tons of icing. I mean, if, if you're diabetic, sweet. you could have killed yourself here. Yeah. And here they, have, they brought in some bars from uh, the UK, some of which Ken and I recognize because we have the same brands up in Canada. But there's a few I'd never seen before. And of sure. course, there was Marmite flavored. What the hell was it? Pretzel sticks or something? Yep. Those were disgusting, and Ken made me eat them. I did not make you eat them. You were holding them. You said, I wonder what these are like. And I said, they're Marmite flavored. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll try those. 
<laughs> oh, isn't Marmite like the Vegemite UK equivalent of Vegemite? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's a cheap knockoff. So well, I warned I you what it, they tasted like, and you still uh, ate them. I'm still going to blame you, Ken. That's all I, like, all I got to say on that. Now, here, you weren't here anymore, but uh, Sunday afternoon, we all went out to the Old North Arcade in Huntington, which is uh, kind of a really cool place because all the video games are free to play. Is there an entry fee or anything like some of the other ones do? Or no, nope, you just uh, you pay for, well, the pinball is not free, and... They serve alcoholic drinks, so they make their money on you getting drunk while you're playing Super Pac-Man. This sounds like the ideal situation to me. <laughs> yep. right. It was awesome. I wish now I, I have a reason to go to Huntington. Yep, I wish I could have stayed there all day, but yeah, we were already on the road back. So yeah, I never saw any of this. Yeah. It was actually a pretty big place too. So, well, I don't know. This would be after I left. Yeah. Well, it's one of those animatronic style. I guess uh, this was Chuck, after I left. Chuck I e. left Cheese. right after the arcade. Right, I looked over Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> yeah, Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> yeah, old Nolan Bushnell. And here's actually seeing some of the proper things in West Virginia you're supposed to see as a tourist. Squirrels? Ah, sure, look those. <laughs> Lots of squirrels. I went to, uh, see one of those. They're looking for the Marmite sticks, I think, is what they're doing. I went to Huntington, West Virginia, um, back a few years ago to Chi Chi's. And uh, our family was waiting at a table for our food. And they came with a big tray and dropped it right before we were served onto the floor. I'm assuming yeah. they replaced it for you. Ah, yes, we, and um, sixty also. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's all right. Uh, just saying that uh, sixty said that those are twiglets that you. Yes, were that is the name of them. I do remember that. I actually fed those to Boat while he was drunk too, which was kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Was that one? I don't know if uh, um, I got the right name or not, but it in I remember visiting West Virginia one time, and there was a um, radio museum that uh, was in an old uh, like elementary school or something that uh, I thought well of, and I thought it was in uh, uh, Charleston, but there appears to be one also in Huntington. I've heard of it. I haven't been there. So this is the audience watching one of the live taping shows. Don't know which one off the top of my head. There's Boat and Aaron getting ready for the Amiga show itself, or was it the ST show? I'm not sure. There's, There's Rob, Rob doing... Flack O'Hara doing his presentation. Talking about why Friday the 13th on the Commodore 64 is the best game ever made. I'm sure alcoholic beverages were consumed during the deciding of that as well. And he actually kind of fooled us. He was going to do, what was his original presentation? He was going to do strawberry shortcake games. Yeah. <laughs> Until the slide came along where Jason was cutting off strawberry shortcakes head with a chainsaw. 
And here's their trivia contest. Now, I'm trying to remember, they did a trivia contest at Cocoa Fest too, didn't they? Yep. So those, those are always fun. I would have done terrible on these guys. I don't know much about the Amiga stuff. Nick would have kicked my butt. Yep. And then another thing, Aaron actually had a good idea to do this year that he didn't do last year is he actually just wandered around with a mic and a camera and sat down and interviewed a ton of the people that are part of their discords. So you can kind of like, you know, match the face to the nickname because almost everybody's nicknames there. A little bit of the background, where they're from, that type of thing. So that was kind of cool. He's got a lot of those up on the Twitch streams now. I don't know if he's going to be splitting those out as separate videos on YouTube afterwards, but there's like, you know, three to four hour long Twitch streams. You can go watch interviews. Uh, unfortunately for me and Ken there, I must have been holding the mic wrong or something because it's kind of got muffled out and kept cutting out stuff. That happened to a few other people, but not as much as it happened on us. I'm cursed when it comes to audio. That's all I can say. Coco Fest, we have no audio at all on our stream uh, from our presentation. And, and then here on this one, it was just, you know, cutting in and out like crazy. So, Ken, and next time uh, you get interviewed by yourself, so I don't curse it, okay? And uh, during these the Coco Nation shows, we just wish your audio would cut out. Hello? Exactly. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I love you, Curtis. <laughs> There's Frank all excited. He thinks he's going to solder soon. Exciting. Hey, it, it was a really good time. Um, I've got a couple others to just quickly go through here. This is uh, Frank's own stream from it. Now, this is one of the modern power PC Amigas or something, wasn't it? Do you remember? Uh, something like that, yeah. It was too modern for me. I my skin started burning when I got too close to it. So, <laughs> but it's basically it's, it's, it's like a power sunlight. PC at some incredible clock speed type thing. There is a version of Flappy Bird on there that was one of the uh, gaming challenges. And here's Frank breaking doctor's orders and actually trying to fix stuff himself. A cocoa, actually, in this case. Yep, that was cocoa the one where we were trying to we were trying to hook it up. Then yeah, nobody, nobody had, had an RF. Nobody had coax at all there. <laughs> it's all composite. Tandy, why didn't you give us the educational one for regular people? Yeah. Frank mentions that uh, PowerPC Amiga was running OS4, Amiga OS4, which I think is PowerPC only, if I remember. The 3.x series is the one that still runs on 6.80XOs. Yeah, that was an Amiga X1000. And here's Ken and I getting completely slaughtered by the other players. Yep. I remember Aaron beat us all pretty handily in this one, didn't he? Or was it Flack? I think it was Aaron. Yeah, because he's used to playing with all these weird-ass controllers here. This, you know, if it doesn't have an actual joystick stick, I'm, I'm lost. And just for those who never saw it at Cocoa Fest, it's uh, Warp Fighter 3D. Now it's a longer exposure, so you're not seeing too much of the 3D effect there of the red and blue next to each other. But it does give you some depth. It's, it's pretty cool. Who's the goof with the glasses? I'm more looking at all the gray hair I have. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and there I'm all happy playing a Coco on a Black Beauty. What more can you ask for in life? 
That's about it. You've reached the pinnacle. Yeah, I've reached the pinnacle. He looks like a bird. Hey, go to I, I can die happy now. Yes, you can. <laughs> or I can stay on the show and die in a fire, one of the two. And that's something that we never did hook up, but... Uh... Yeah, Super Cassette Vision. I remember they covered an ARG. It's a fairly obscure system, which I don't know if anybody here has even heard of. Well, you can punch in the distance of the... Oh, no. But I actually loaded games off cassette, so it took a while. And this is a gaming console, not a computer, like a home computer. So that cartridge is a cassette? Yep. And those uh, buttons you can, like, push... Uh... You can actually like yeah. There's buttons them. here, and then there's also these two joysticks that are actually wired, hardwired into them. You can't unplug them. Huh. So kind of strange how people tried to do things in the late '70s, early '80s before things got semi-standardized. Well, I mean, talk about instant gratification. You know, you plug and set all that up, then you start the game loading and come back after dinner. <laughs> yeah. So there's some of Frank's pictures, and then uh, I'm, I'm kind of losing track of whose pictures are who's here. But no, was some of this stuff for sale on that table? All of this stuff was for sale on the oh, table, okay, oh, right up to the Pac-Man machine. That's boats we talked about earlier. There's more stuff on the left here too. The, the, yeah, that was all the uh, auction stuff. Where were the? Oh, it was all auction stuff. Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe it was priced. Nope, it was all bidding. Some stuff went really cheap, and some stuff went a bit more than I was expecting, to be honest. So did that PC, that uh, real thin PC 4 or whatever it was, uh, did the screen look good on it? I didn't turn it on, so I'm not sure. They they'd said that it had been tested before they put it out, that it did work. Oh, okay. And there was a few things in the auction table that were specifically said, you know, but certain pieces don't work, so it's more of a parts machine. There's a Hunt the Wumpus, which actually Evan Wright ported over the Cocoa directly from the TI-90 version that's pictured here. It's funny to see a TI w without the extra stuff on the side. Yeah. These okay. next two are here for Sixy in the chat here, because uh, these are UK games that also were, had Dragon versions. These are the Spectre versions here in this case, but Jet Set Willy and Chucky. Oh, it's a. actually just a little keychain. A yeah. Jet Set Willy thing. What was the processor in the oh, right. BBC? Yep. Sorry, was it? What was the processor in the BBC? 6582. Oh. Was it that or Z80? Or Z80? I can't remember. No, it's uh, 6582. Okay. Ages 12 to infinity. And Chuck Yeag, which actually we had featured as uh, a game on Challenge at some point, didn't we? Yep. Yes, sir. A while back. So did the BBC come out after the Coco did? Uh, I'd be pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. So I, I'm wondering if they liked our red uh, reset button and then said, well, we can make, you know, 12. That's like 64 <laughs> with your original cable. Yeah, this is the portable. Uh, for those that had not seen it before, I thought I'd show it here. Luggable. Frank Swigert made Luggable. homemade ones we saw at Coco Fest back in the 90s, but of Coco yeah, ones. Luggable. 20 29 pounds of joy. Yes, yeah. I bought one in 1986 and I still own it. They're nice. It does have a color, color screen there, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's like it's four five inches inch, or five inch? Five, five inch diagonal CRT. Yeah. This one heavy. was uh, Rob O'Hare's. 
I that agree. must have Dolphin DOS or something already in it because you don't see the fast load or Mach 5 sticking out the top. Yep. I got <laughs> fast load. Uh, he, no, he had a fast load cartridge in the top. I, you just can't see it there. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. I mean, if I had one, I would first use it for a floppy disk storage device like it's being pictured here. So he's <laughs> <laughs> got the keyboard cable. That's that's a major win. Yep, those keyboard cables die. I kept uh, I kept suggesting to Rob that I could uh, you know store this in my car, but he wouldn't let me. <laughs> I'll take care of it for you. I actually, Ken, after seeing all the stuff you bought, I don't know if you would have had room. I didn't buy that much. Yeah. You were you're busier at the auction than I was. Twice <laughs> as much as I intended to. And like keyboard clip right on, next to it. Uh, like yeah, does it clip on like the four uh, P? Yeah, it clips yeah. on the front. There's little tabs on the back side, then they yeah. sit down where that blue, the blue uh, line at the bottom sits just above that. Yeah, so it has a face and it has Commodore on on the front as well. So, yeah, Frank's mentioned Kung Fu Flash, which is actually a product I think he sells. You think the four P weighs about twice as much as this one? <laughs> this one weighs twenty nine uh, yeah. pounds. Yeah, yeah I don't know how much a four P weighs. Don't remember. A full P would be heavier. Yeah, uh, this has a metal case on it. Yeah, the four P is a much yeah. bigger screen though, so and dual yeah. floppies. Yeah, and an air keypad included the keyboard. Cocoa green. On it, it is physically a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. I got one. So hey, that's that's Boatfest picture. So I'll stop. And Ken, do you have any final thoughts on Boatfest before I switch over to the VCW stuff? Um, basically, just that I was actually quite impressed with it. I had a lot of fun, and uh, I was impressed on how far people traveled to get there. I thought I was the crazy one. Yeah, that was funny because I think Aaron even mentioned that because it used to be, you know, no problem. Curtis is going to win the the furthest away thing or maybe somebody, you know, that's way in a corner of the U.S. or something. But no, now we have people from Australia and the U.K. Even U.K. wasn't good enough. You had to be from Australia to win that. Well, for Canada, we had B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario. Maybe maybe next year somebody will bring the uh, cocoa-powered Evan Root. For Boatfest, yes. Yes. Evan Rude powered cocoa, you meant. <laughs> <laughs> so any, anybody have any, before I get into VCF, anybody have any questions about Boatfest? How many oh. actual boats were at Boatfest? <laughs> I was waiting for that. One. <laughs> Just one, right? At least the one, yeah. There, there was one, Boat of Car. Yeah, you'll have to get the whole inside story at the whole reason and that thing came around. which weighs as much as a boat anchor. <laughs> and so, there was three of them. When you guys so, pulled up, was there like a 64 Chrysler out front or anything? You know, <laughs> boat of car? No, nope, no, unfortunately not. not. There was a Camaro, but. Yeah, he's not. looking for a land yacht. That's not a car. Right. El Dorado, something like that. And the the comment is was a Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, next up, VCF Southwest, which is from what I was reading on their website, this is the first time in a decade, 10 years, that there has been a show for the Southwest, which took place in Fort Worth, Dallas, and Texas. And of course, that's the home of Tandy. And if you looked at the logo on the VCF Southwest website, the Tandy 
logo with the three diagonal colors, the RGB colors there that we see on the, you know, the label on your cocoa, for example, was kind of the theme for VCF. So there was a fair bit of Tandy representation at the show. Um, so not that, only that, but the the sound was pretty cool when it, each uh, thing started. Oh, you're talking about the videos when they did yeah, the they had, uh, the different colors would make noises when they were displayed. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll play some clips of those, and I'll I'll make sure to play that little intro too because that's uh, there's cool. a few videos that are Coca related that we're going to be talking about. But I'll just go through some of the pictures here. So I got a few here from different people. Um, let me share the screen. Which one am I looking for here? I think it's this one. Bam. Yeah. If you see there's Brendan little, Donahue's name up here, then I'm pointing the wrong one. If you, if I, yeah, I, I right little, There's a little bit of Ron's garage right there in that picture. Do you know what it is? Uh, hey. nope. Too late. Okay, it's the Coco VGA monitor showing a VG6 of Coco VGA, which I produced. Oh, okay. And I guess he did show a bunch of my VG6 pictures. Son. Yeah, he did mention that because you guys were talking about it. You can see on the side. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Let's give me a little thrill. Speaking yeah. of a 4P. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, on the far right there. Well, far right of the table anyway. Yeah, this was this was Brendan's own booth here. So he's got the uh, the Pi key, the little uh, adapter for running modern keyboards on MC10, which he's got running on its side. And he's even running Paul Shoemaker's just released video poker game. Mm-hmm. He's got, got a TP100 there underneath the joysticks, a Coco One, the Model Four. Let me show some of the shore, show floor there. Said it was pretty well attended too, which is kind of cool. Uh, Considering it, you know, had taken a break for ten years, and they didn't announce it till fairly late, I think either did they? Like they only really announced it was happening, I think, one or two months ahead. Or am I remembering that wrong? For those, no, something like that. It was like, oh, hey, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, because I'd already booked Boat Fest by then. Because honestly, there was so much cocoa and tandy stuff. I would have considered going to this one instead. No offense to Boat Fest, but to be, you know, at, at you know, in Tandy's headquarter town with a lot of the Tandy people that were involved in their whole computer line from 77 through 1990 type thing there in attendance. Uh, I, I would have liked to have gone to this because that would have been a, a, a bit of a rare opportunity. I got a question for you guys. Maybe uh, it's impossible to answer, but, you know, as time goes on, um, I just wonder, people aren't manufacturing CRTs anymore, are they? I mean... Aren't these nope. CRTs going to wind up being f- few and far between in the future? As yeah, die? unless a retro thing starts where people start manufacturing again like they're trying to do with records and stuff now. Yeah, in some cases, they're already few and far between, especially in arcade restoration. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how well it shows up in the picture here, but you can see the VCF. Uh, logo up at the top of the screen here. It's kind of washed out because of the angle, but you can see the red, green, blue diagonals that you'll recognize from Tandy Machines, which was kind of the theme. There's your 4P up close. Scripts it. So that was a few pictures that uh, Brendan put up on 
to see, but he also gave me a link to his uh, photo list here. And he actually sent me a, a thing to kind of read out talking about it. Cause I, I was going to try to get him on the show today, just out of time. So he did a little write up for me. So, so vintage this, computer, sorry, what? This is like June Tandy. Like yeah, Seth Tandy. <laughs> so he said, located in Dallas, Texas, at the University of Texas, Davidson Gundy Alumni Center, Friday, June 23rd to June 25th, 2023. He arrived at 11 a.m. on Friday and noticed Boise Pete was setting up his booth. And Boise bought a bunch of his, you know, one of the kind or, or very rare cocoa-related systems. Um, so I think he's got some photos of that coming up here. We've also got a picture of a Sheldon McDonald's um, game. Uh, why is the name escaping me? Treasure Island Defense. Treasure. Thank yeah. you. Um, which we actually had as a game on Challenge as well. And a TDP next to it. Yep. Yeah, right there. And an MC10 next to that. What? Yeah, there's Ron's MC10. That's where it is. That's a Commander X, which is, I think, is that the 8-bit guys? Or is that a different one? I can't remember now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the 8-bit guys. Is that close the, up? the one that they put together? Yeah, the they kind of designed a sequel to a C64 with a bunch of modern hardware to make it run quite a bit faster with a bunch of extra features, extra graphics modes, etc. And it's got slots. Yeah, slots. Kind of looks like a <laughs> Apple II Apple there. II. So how, how does it run? Is it did it work right off or did they have trouble with it's it? It's been or? an ongoing project for what, three or four years now, I think. Yeah. Is he selling them yet or are they still kind of finishing up the design? I don't know. I know he's got some several videos of it in action, you know, showing its progress as it was being designed on his channel on YouTube. There's a sharp built in printer. 40th anniversary of the sharp PC 5000. Yeah, IBM 5100. Big type drive in that. <laughs> yep. Atari 65 XEP. This is not one I was familiar with, but it looks like a better to that Commodore one we just looked at, the SX. Mm. I don't know if that's screen. I'm assuming it was color. Oh, yeah. Is, is that, that a real machine? Not, or? Well, it says, please do not touch prototypes. I'm assuming this was one that ah, generated internally and maybe never okay, sold. Yeah. 1450 XLD, 1090 XL expansion box. So this is basically a multi-pack for the Atari. And you had all these things that were planned to be made for it. It's kind of like some of the BT-1000 units that Coco had before the multi-pack came out. Hmm. Now here's Boise. So he brought five things of, 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 of extreme interest for those who have not seen these up close in person. I would love to see this. So this is the Coco 4 that he's uh, put in the book. And uh, we've mentioned on the show before some photos of it as well and there's a you know a disagreement between mark siegel and some of the other tandy employees at the time because mark says that this was meant to be a, a possible coco 3 educational model that they did a mock-up of to see if schools would want it but uh, on if you watch the atari roundtable panel several of the engineers said no there was initial plans for coco 4 but never got very far and this has no circuit board no nothing it's basically just a mocked up case with a built-in three and a half inch disk drive um so there's, you know, obviously some different memory recollections there as to, you know, how far things got or who was doing what exactly, et cetera. But uh, that's the only one in existence. So it looks like it's uh, roughly the same size as a original sized Coco 1, looking at the Coco next to it. 
Oh, right. Yeah, the Coca one on the left there. Yeah, pretty close. I mean, yeah. obviously taller because of the drive bays, et cetera, but. Yeah. It would be later. really cool if they had a pie in it and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> the later versions of the 1000s kind of went to that sort of format. Yeah, and I remember there was originally when these photos got first released, there was speculation that it might have been a 1000 case kind of hacked together to to fit a Coco 3 keyboard style thing in it. Do you think they would have had a fan? I have no idea. I doubt it. And that, that badge, what does it say? Color computer, color computer 4. Computer. So, four. Uh, but that wouldn't be the original. I, I reckon um, Boise I, had that printed. Nope, that was on it when he got it from uh, Cricket. Oh, okay. So that came from Tandy that way. Still can't zoom in, huh? Um, can you on this? I'm not even sure. Oh, you can. There you go. I like a bitter for it. Because Boise does sell the, the badges, and I thought he just had a few made up with the four on it. No, as far as I know, and I mean, he can correct me if I'm wrong if he sees this, but I'm pretty sure that came from Tandy that way, from his discussion of it in the book. Because the book's how many years that, old, and I don't think he started selling badges till after that, did he? Well, I would have thought that this is actually just does a Boise mock-up. sell badges, or is that Mark? Uh that might be Mark, but yeah, they probably both have them. You know, well, I would have thought, why would you make a badge for a computer that is not really even being made yet? I mean, this is only a a concept. And they made color badges. I thought that's well. Weird. If they made plastic moldings for the drive case, I mean, a badge is going to cost some squat. <laughs> and they put it off to the left, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean the the, the standard Coco three one's a bit wider because it actually. Right. Well, they made it fit the case that they're making for those that got yeah. the five and a quarter or three and a half inch drive, and then to center up everything, you put the badge over the. Actually, no. I guess it's it's pretty close to the same size as the. I'm just looking at my Coco 3 over my shoulder here. So, I think that that photo is a bit out of uh, out of whack uh, scale wise. Well, that's just whatever viewer from yeah, yeah. Google Photos. I wonder if they would have had a little square badge at the top that said 10 megabyte. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wonder what 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 would be behind the uh, grill on the left. Maybe nothing currently. It's basically a hollow case. There's no circuit board. There's no power supply. There's nothing in it, from what I understand. That's where the hard drive would go. Yeah. Or a second floppy drive, perhaps. Um, Well, they they never added a drive light either, did they? There's one in there. Right here. On the drive, yeah. Right there. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying like a power on light. Uh, I don't know. So you're saying it's an empty case, so there's no real-time clock. Still not, (laughs) no. Much to my chagrin. (laughs) Yeah, that Lumpy's looks like an uh, early uh, oh, Tandy 1000 case scale. that they hacked up. Did you ever show the back of it? I don't think any of Brendan's pictures. I'm pretty sure Boise is showing some back stuff of it, <clears> but I don't think it's on here. Deluxe color computer with an actual circuit board and everything in it, because I've seen this before. Now, this here is a little satellite ROM board, and you'll notice there's four sockets. All three are populated. Now, they've actually taken a look at these, and there's a color basic 1.2, a color basic 1.3. An extended basic 1.1 is what's in there right now. I'm assuming with the four, this eventually would have became like a big chip or something. And talking to Mark about the specs for the deluxe, and he's him and Boise both sent me some uh, documentation that Microware had on the deluxe because they were actually were manufactured somewhat, and Microware had been writing drivers. Is that the eventual plan was to have a 32k ROM, 
So you'd have Disk Basic built right in, and the Disk Basic had extensions to support a 32K RAM drive. So if you had 64K, you'd get your 32K through Basic for RAM. You get your 32K ROM for all your Basic stuff, and the RAM drive would be the other 32K would map in and use it. So you actually had you didn't need an actual drive. You could actually run off a RAM drive for a little bit if you wanted to with a 32K RAM drive. Plus, it had that you know phase thing, so you get white text on blue background instead of black on green. Um, real seal port, 6551, just like having an RS232 pack built into the machine. Composite out was built in. The extended keyboard with, with the black background instead of gray background you see right there, because that is the ones they also sold as uh, extras in Radio Shack after one of the few things from the docs they actually made some money on, because they sold those separately. But uh, there's, a, there's a couple of these around, from what I understand. Um, and the back of the work? case wasn't finalized, so it's kind of hacked. <laughs> if you've seen pictures, Does this one actually power up? I don't know. I did. You'd have to ask Boise on that one. I do know the the whole circuit board's in there, and they have dumped the ROMs and stuff. So, uh, but like that's not that. the ROM that would have been sold in the final unit. It's not even close. It looks like the writing is not on the case. It's on some tape. Yeah, yeah. That was just the label that, that John Prickett had on there. Color Computer 23, 23rd edition. Uh, I don't know. And they I'm don't have a sticker on it. Could have been the part number, like it was 3021, 3022. This might have been 3023 was what the deluxe was going to be. Internal skew. But it's never had a sticker on it. Look how perfect the plastic is for the sticker yeah. will be. And that's basically the uh, 64K Cocoa case. And like I said, if yeah. you take a look at the back, it's actually got a big chunk of plastic cut out to fit the RS232 port, the real one. And the composite video out and audio out, because um, they didn't actually have the moldings made yet. They, the circuit board was basically designed. The ROMs were in the works. OS nine and had drivers built to handle. Oh, it had an AY uh, sound, speech sound pack sound chip built into it too. Probably had the clock. Too. Uh, no, no, no clock still. <laughs> <laughs> Everything but. <laughs> was it based on a color two or a color three? This is a couple years before the Coco three, so definitely on the. Coco okay. 2. There's no gimme in this one. Nope. No. No, it's basically a 64K Coco with uh, the RS232 pack, the sound speech pack, and composite video out all built in. And then they would have had an extended ROM. else had that phase thing for better colored text. They would have the true lowercase VDG, but you see on the later uh, Coco 2s. So it would have been a pretty decent upgrade. You would have had a lot of stuff come stock. Um, but not a huge quantum leap. Like the the Coco three ended up being, definitely would be more like on par with the uh, Commodore sixty four built in sound chip and them. Well, one of the things with this machine, if you compare it to the Dragon sixty four or Tano, the Tano and the Dragon sixty four came with the sixty five fifty one built into them as well. Yeah, for the serials, there's so. still no parallel port in this one though. You have the serial bit banger for a printer, and the real RC there too. You could use it as a printer or a modem or direct terminal. And still ran a one megahertz, not two. This is zoom of the keyboard, which has the black background, so the gray you see in the Coco three. And now, John Prickett, the person that designed this, was supposed to be on the Tandy panel, uh, but they announced at the beginning of the Tandy panel stream, which you can watch on YouTube if you go to the VCF Southwest channel. He ended up having emergency surgery, which he's okay, but there was no way in heck he could make it to the show, unfortunately. Because he was actually going to give a speech and probably a lot of this stuff, which would have been really cool. Makes you wonder if he has one. Well, this well, that's this where Boise got these from. Oh. 
Coco Four case and this were from from him. If if you got the Coco history book that him and uh, Bill made, um, it's it's got pictures and kind of the background of that whole meeting him. Here's the uh, Ag Vision terminal, which came out before the Coco, but based on a lot of the same hardware of the Coco One. You can see the RAM badges replaced with a modem light. The modem was built in a 300 baud. You had the Chiclet keyboard, 6809. I don't believe it had a SAM. Uh, it had the VideoTech software, basically built in ROM instead of BASIC. Nice. And this is the you know much rarer um, blue ones, not the uh, you know the standard gray VideoTech terminals that came out a few months before the Coco One did. And if you watch the round table, they've got a history, a bit of the history of this uh, is mentioned in there if you want to get into the early stuff too. And some of the people who were directly involved with it. Sorry, go ahead. What just looks looks wrong. 1979. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. I was just trying to remember if this came out in late 79. It was late 79 or early 80. The Coco didn't get announced till July of 1980 and didn't get actually out to the public till about October. So this would have been about half a year to three quarters of a year before that, at least. Can we go ahead, Brian? I was going to say during uh, Boise's presentation that he did there, where he was talking about the uh, the history of the cocoa, it makes me think that there's a lot of these out there potentially because he said that there was some sort of promotional program where if farmers bought like 300 gallons of some, it was like a fertilizer or something, they were given yeah. one of these free. <laughs> but only in two counties in Kentucky and I think one or two in Ohio. Oh, oh okay. Okay. They had a very okay. limited scope. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's when they switched over to doing the general video techs for, you know, everybody where you could go into the Dow Jones, you could do the farming, you know, related weather stuff. You could go on CompuServe, et cetera, type thing. Right. They kind of were trying to expand the market. This was very narrowly focused. It was actually helped sponsored by the University of Louisville, Kentucky, I believe. Okay. Some university there. It's part of Boise's presentation as well. Yeah, you know the the ag vision with that light being there, the the indicator light is probably why the all the later the later cocos with the badge still have the hole under there. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they actually the had the RAM badge holes. there because it would say four K, sixteen K, thirty. Yeah, but he's right. There's a hole to fit an LED through where the RAM LED, badge is. Why yeah, would that yeah, be there right. if Same it wasn't holes. from this? Yep. <laughs> well, with with the way with the way Tanny wanted to save money, I mean, they obviously probably used the exact same mold. Yeah, that they, that they did, yeah. and they just you know move forward with the with the uh, Coco One case. Hey, I pulled up a page with the Ag Vision stuff on it. It does have a sixty eight forty seven in it. Yeah, the VDG. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, video kind of have too. to have the you kind of have to have the SAM to do the RAM sharing too, wouldn't you? To get the video uh, over to the video. It has a sixty eight twenty one, a sixty eight. Yeah, the SAM you don't need. The SAM I think was uniquely to the Coco. Because huh, okay. that lets you do all the high semi-graphics modes, where if you don't have a SAM, you can't. Like the MC10 doesn't have a SAM, and it uses 6847 too. Gotcha. Okay. But you only got SG4 and SG6. So you don't have any of the other ones. That was kind of the way the SAM interleave, you know, the memory scanning for video type thing, where you could do it by individual scan lines instead of character. I thought this was interesting because the Lanco has absolutely nothing to do with electronics or computers in any way. Yeah, <laughs> they sell tractor stuff and fertilizer and crap yep. like that, and this. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, it was it was a university locally there, and it was a they were taking proposals for uh, doing something for farmers with technology, and Motorola helped do the submission along with Radio Shack for doing this. It was a, a joint proposal. I've actually seen. I think Boise posted up some links to the actual proposal write up on Project Green Thumb, which is what it was originally the code name for it. And that was submitted in 70, 
eight or 79 from what I saw on those docks. And Motorola actually said, you know, here's a 6809. We're going to have a ROM. We're going to have a modem. We're going to have a 6847 to drive the screen, et cetera. And they kind of had mock-ups. Now, the original mock-ups of that and the original proposal did not have a full keyboard. It had almost like a little numeric keypad in the middle. So it, it looked fairly different from this, what the final product was a year later. But uh, that was the, you know, the rough beginning of it. There's the mod for P. Oh, look out, little, little thousands. That's the uh, Tandy Roundtable. And you'll have to watch the video because I can't remember who everybody is. Jerry Heap's in there. I think he's second from the right. Uh, the most talkative guy is the guy who's talking right now. And I should know his name. And for some reason, it's escaping me at the moment. And now, like I said, John Pricker was supposed to be part of this panel, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it to the surgery. What the empty chairs for. Yeah. Right. definitely that's an hour and a half or hour and a quarter presentation on the vcf southwest youtube channel definitely go check out there's a lot of cool interesting stories in there covering the tandy 1000 2000 covering the coco the model one two threes trying to get fcc approvals all kinds of stuff it's a really good talk yeah the lady at the end was interesting too yeah yeah she worked for the um the company that tandy bought that handled a lot of importing of stuff from japan Technology like wise, A and A or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the company. Yeah, which was one of the main purchases. Anything, any chips that Tandy had to get that were not manufactured in the states went through the company she was working for, which is a wholly sub owned subsidiary of Tandy after they bought them out. And she called it. It was kind of the secret sauce because it was that was when Japan started catching up in the technology because the early seventies was basically the U.S. was completely in charge of everything in the world as far as electronics went, like Intel, et cetera, Motorola for that matter. But by the late 70s, early 80s, I mean, Japan was coming on hard and fast and, you know, catching up and, you know, kind of innovating on their own type thing. So then you started to see a mix of chips from various places, which you still do to this day. That's more Brennan's booth. What's that uh, computer kit there, the Radio Shack uh, computer or is it microcontroller? Yeah, that's Micro. the 201 kit or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like to teach you electronics and stuff, wasn't it? And how yeah, circuits it's, and it's one of their experimenter. Yep, their experimenter boards. They had a whole series of those. Yep. That was the first thing to teach me. I don't know how to solder, I think. I remember. <laughs> well, it was because the spring clips spoiled yep. you. you never... Nice soldering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never got the skills. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the skills to do this either. Never mind that. So those, and then there's a couple individual pictures here. Um, so this is Alan uh, Badiger. I'm trying to remember that's how you pronounce his name here. He's been a guest on our show, but he's a guy who kind of has taken over along with a company in Germany and a company in Japan, RTSI.com, which he ran. All of them were support for OS K, OS 9000, after Microware and Radisys kind of folded it up. Now they've got the rights to it, and they actually run a company called Microware and still supports those. And he's been on our show, and of course, Boise's with him too, because of course he worked for Mike Ward. And I was got Alan with Mark Siegel, because Mark Siegel popped by there, I think, on Saturday for the morning. And then he said, you know, he had to leave because he was getting tired because he's getting that's one of the problems of being old. <laughs> you get tuckered out fast. But it was it was good to see that he got to show up there too. And I don't know if he had time to talk to some of the other engineers and stuff that were doing the presentations and stuff too, but I'd love to hear some of those back conversations. Hey, do you uh, think that's a pulsar on uh, Mark's arm? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it looks like a watch. I know. Um, well, that's what the, that's what I was speaking of. 
Right. Back the, in the, the original digital watch. Yeah, I had yeah. SR. So if VCF SW happens in Fort Worth again next year, I think I will try to make that one because if I can visit with Mark and some of these engineers, stuff, I would love to maybe sit down and get some interviews with them in person. Um, that'd be a lot of fun, I think. Depends on when, when and where and you know how expensive things are at the time. But. So that's those. Um, then I've got some here. Now, uh, some other people that we know were at the show, too. Um, Taylor and Amy, which I'll cover in the news. They took some pictures and stuff, too, of Boise's booth. Um, they took a picture of uh, all five of the machines that were on there. I'm trying to remember. We covered the Deluxe. We covered the Ag Vision. We covered the Coco 4. I'm trying to remember the other two they showed were. I'm going to have to go dig through those pictures a little bit later. Uh, the next batch I'm going to show you here is actually from Chronological Gaming. Jeff was down there, too, because he lives in Texas. So he went and he, he's got pictures of, like, all the different types of machines here that he got to fiddle around with. So let me change my share. So first up here is a couple of the Sinclairs. Uh, they got the ZX81 or ZX81 as it's known in the US on the left and the Spectrum on the right with the uh, chiclet keyboard. They improved their machine to a chiclet keyboard to match the Coco One, I guess, is uh, <laughs> basically what I'm trying to say here. Membrane one sucks. Yes. Yeah, anybody who's typed in an Atari 400 will know. <laughs> just just think touchscreen and you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Resistive touchscreen. Touch screen. Covered with. Gummy jelly beans. So you have to stare <laughs> intently at what you're typing at to see what you're pointing, and you have to hit the middle and press very carefully in the middle, just like a bad touchscreen. I loved it. My, my yes. friend Dwayne here and I, because we had experience a little bit with the ZX80 and the 81 and the uh, the Atari 400, we call it the Ram Tone Keyboard because you basically had a hammer or chisel and you'd smack the keys to get it registering. So that's what we did. Is it as bad as those Coke Freestyle Machine touchscreens? I Have know. you ever tried to be a cashier at McDonald's when they have those touchscreen, or not touchscreen, but the touch uh, keypads, where you, you know you watch a person mashing the key trying to order a cheeseburger, and it won't, like that. and it won't, and it won't. Yeah, it's like that, except you don't have the 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 obvious you know bliss of getting an actual cheeseburger after you're done. <laughs> and there he is at Brendan's booth, so you got to meet Brendan in person and uh, fill around the Coco One with the Coco VGA in it. He's really worn the front of that Coco. Hey, she's a winner. Yeah. I still like the older ones, like the ones with the left badge and still have the memory badge on the top because yeah, that had yeah. the nice black underneath. That looked awesome when you rubbed that off. Yeah, that was <laughs> cool. There he's with a, one of the Tandy 1000 models. And uh, Super Pet. Super Pet. Is that now the that's the pet with a 6809. Yes, thank you. So it's a dual CPU and actually has a port of OS 9 to it. So that's something I would like to try at some point. And the mm -hmm. Super Pet was created in Ontario, Canada. Frank's, uh, you know, one of the members of the pet, uh, an Amiga slash Commodore users group in, in Toronto. And they have Super Pets there and they have some of the people that program the original thing. So one of these days I'm going to have to pop by because they have a couple of local shows in Ontario too and maybe get the chance to fiddle with it and try OS 9 on the Super Pet. That'd be awesome. And that's an Atari, I think. Uh, yeah, a uh, 130 or what do they call it? 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. That looks awfully small. Is that one of those new recreation ones, or is that an actual? No, it's an actual one. Oh, it's the last XE. of the Atari 800. Okay, so it, those are just XE. a little bit smaller than some of the other ones? Uh, or just perspective, maybe, is confusing me. Yeah, perspective is making them look a bit smaller than what they really are, but it's about the size of a Coco, Coco Y2. It's okay. some wide monitors that are throwing you off. <laughs> that might be two. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and the wide monitors. Now this one, this one struck a chord with me because this is the very first computer I ever used. Yeah, the original pet with that uh, crappy calculator <laughs> keyboard and a space bar about the size of your thumb. Little was tiny the thing in the middle. On the left, was it? Yep. Yep. Eight huh. K RAM standard, if I remember correctly, but that was the very first computer I ever used and programmed on. And I, at that time, I think I learned maybe ten basic statements, so I had very limited programming on it. So anytime you feel bad about cocoa price, look at Parazon a thousand bucks. Yep. <laughs> I'll still complain about cocoa prices. And here he's going back to the uh one of the trend uh, the other one of um, the other Trinity ones, uh the TRS eighty model one, or as it was known back then, just the TRS eighty. And this uh, particular booth here was actually kind of talking about the uh quick printer two. And uh, talking about the Terrace Microcomputer News uh, magazine that Tandy put out for several years from 78 through 84, 83 or something. And instant software here in the lower right corner is actually uh, some software that was published by the same guys that did uh, Hot Cocoa, 80 Micro, Kilobot Computing, but Wayne Green. That was their uh, the software division that actually sold software you buy, including some pro Cocoa programs like, say, Mountain Pilot and a few others. There's an Apple II GS, which I'm sure Mark is familiar with. Mark, oh, I, I should only, say. I only have four of them. <laughs> uh, slacker. Slacker. Yeah, there's well. the Clico Atom. And those cassette drives. Yeah, and the fact that you had to have a printer plugged in to power the system on, that was awesome. And no cassettes yeah. plugged in to power the system on, or you <laughs> wouldn't have those cassettes anymore. It wouldn't be anymore. Yep. It's quite the adventure. Yeah. And here's the Antrix. I'm not familiar with that one. Is that a terminal or uh, is that a computer? It's a terminal. Yeah, it's a terminal. I terminal. Okay. Uh, ADM, maybe? Or what'd you no, say? it's a knockoff no, it's not. of an ADM. ADM's got their own, like the 383A22. Well, and they have a nice case. This is like a knockoff, well-molded case. Oh, really? Terminal yeah. thing. Yeah, the ADMs we used as terminals on the Coco 3 actually at work. We had, I think, two or three 3As and two 22s. A Freedom 100 uh, and a couple others I can't remember. The blue it's not one of those nice. on the right. The one on the right is that? What's that? I don't know. Something else. Yeah, the Atom Threes look like the one closest to us, but much more nicely done. Yeah. yeah. This is like someone made it in a garage with a blow molded case and a, exit, and a <laughs> you know. I wonder if they're using a white screen with a blue filter on it, or if it's actually blue. That might just yeah. be the camera angle Good. too. Who knows? Yeah. Commodore Vic 20 playing it almost looks like a Bejeweled clone or something. I'm not sure what that is. Macintosh SE playing Oregon Trail. Did Paul ever finish his Oregon Trail port on the Coco? I don't think he did, did he? No. Nice. Got to get off all these casino games and finish that up. It's kind of <laughs> like Nick doing the stupid <laughs> Neutroid thing again. <laughs> TI-994A. That was a machine that was... 16-bit, but so crippled in the way to access memory, it was dog slow, which is a shame because it actually had a pretty decent sprite chip, decent graphics, decent sound. Keyboard was a little crammed, I will give it that. 
but its basic was atrociously slow. Yeah, it was sad that it was a 16-bit CPU that ran slower basic than a lot of 8 bits. And yeah, the 6502 would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's an Amstrad CPC 464. So this is a case you think uh, Coco with a multi-pack is not wide enough. Yeah. We have this for you. <laughs> you got to see the 994As with the expansion stuff. I have. I, I saw a guy in our town here that ran a BBS. We had disk drives, modems, printer for logging. And 15 linear feet of table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this it's, is it's, as small as it got. Could you imagine this? Yeah, this is it. This is the base case. Monitor <laughs> in front of it, four by three monitor wouldn't even cover the keyboard area. And then you got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty decent machine, actually, but the tape drive died, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that was the thing, like in the UK, the the tapes cassette-based system stayed around for half a decade longer than it did up in in North America or even Australia for that matter. They just were too expensive to get disk drives, which is just insane to me. I would never have used a tape drive in the late 80s. Larry is in front of the sign advertising. Now here you can clearly see the logo that's kind of borrowed from Tandy there. And Taylor and Amy took their picture with this too. This is the um <laughs> what, what would you call this? It's it's kind of a fraud is slash urban right. legend or I don't know. Urban legend Plibius, yes. This is the arcade <laughs> game that supposedly would actually like damage people's brains and cause them to go insane or something like that. And you know, you're supposed to try to find this, but never actually play because you might you might join right. the army or something. Yeah, <laughs> like that movie about the videotape that sucks you in. <laughs> oh, Videodrome. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, yeah, somebody made a, a modern game called that just to kind of fill in the rest of the legend, I guess. I haven't talked to him since, so he's actually on a summer break now. So maybe it did damage his brain. He's taking a break. I'm not sure. Do <laughs> the X Files theme, but yeah, it looks like that. It looks like a pretty well attended show. Um, a lot of people I would have loved to meet in person. Like obviously, I've met Boise before, and we've met Mark on the show here as an interviewee. But to meet them in person, and then a bunch of others like Jerry Heap and some of the others from Tandy that were all there too, I would have loved to have been down for that. So, if they do have it next year, and it's, like I said, the first time after ten years, I haven't heard yet if they're. You know, planning the next year one, or if this is going to be back to being on a permanent schedule. But uh, I'm hoping it does because that would be awesome. Um, anybody else planning on if if they have it roughly around the same time next year? Is anybody else planning on going? That looks really cool to go to. Uh, what city is it in? Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas, yeah. Texas. Oh, there's got to be an amusement park there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the original Six Flags is in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> I'll take it. It's either that one or the one that's built in the rock quarry. <laughs> and of course, Brendan lives in Texas, so he was there. So that was that's a good thing too. We get to see him at Cocoa Fest and at BCF. That'd be awesome. I'm just gonna scroll back. I'm just looking through stuff at 10 and Amy because I'm pretty sure they put some pictures up of some of the other stuff boys he had. Uh, there's a couple there that I don't think we've seen photos of yet. Oh, they took a picture of this. Um, heck is it? Vpont? Sorry? Yes, that's from his basic extension. 
It's up on the webpage, but uh, he's added commands to basic to be able to interact with the Cocoa VGA. At the bottom, it says, uh, v, is that vfont211 two, or something like that? I'm not sure if that's a, if that's a uh, command line or something. It must be a Yeah, uh, he's, he's demoing the, the basic extension. He's talking about it. Okay. Now, what it is, Brian, is there was an extension to basic for the Cocoa VGA. Okay, right. Have you guys ever heard of a Centurion? Other than Battlestar Galactica? Uh, is that Battlestar Galactica, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, ancient Roman? Cool, yeah. That was the Roman, the Romans with the horse carts with the brushes on their head. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so what's the context for Centurion? Because that was a machine that apparently has just hit YouTube recently, and that was one that uh, Taylor Amy took a picture of because it was apparently a, kind of a unicorn style thing so let me switch i've got it saved out here yeah it's uh maybe british maybe the british actually have a tank called the centurion so peter willard says yes a unique machine oh look at that which, IBM which, blue which part is the computer the bottom it, of the it's, it's like a pdp or an hp 3000 mini okay. that's the whole thing there yeah it's a wow. mini computer with the terminal. Get a computer and a coffee table in one. Looks like yep. a so, and a heater. You can tell it's a mini instead of a micro because it's actually got a key on it here to lock yeah. it up. That's Looks like power. it's the size of a portable dishwasher, like you said is, there. Is that racketoons associated with it? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think so. But apparently this was just recently discovered and a lot of people had no information on it. So whoever did the YouTube video, and I can't remember who that is, unfortunately, has been trying to do some research. I think it's from the late 60s. Maybe yeah, the early seventies. Early seventies. Early seventies. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that screen burn on it. Hey, it's had a lot of hours. <laughs> it's been on since the early seventies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I gotta have that one here. Just a sec here. Zoom in. We might be able to see a few passwords. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the logo looks like Marvin the Martian. Yeah, it does kind of, doesn't it? It's, it's got the old it's a Roman brush on his head. Yeah. Roman does thing, it yeah. <laughs> is it equipped with a P51 space modulator? <laughs> <laughs> now, what is this thing in the front here? This I don't have a clue. It's like a jack, doesn't it? The barrel That's jack the for, for what? What was that? It's, oh, it's for the go ahead. I was gonna say it's for the secret mouse you aren't supposed to know about. So uh, in the chat, Mickey, uh, Mikey says uh, Centurion is a mini computer from the Texas area. And oh, okay. Peter Willard, Willard says the uh, rack of tubes is a recreation of the uh, uh, MC1455 CPU. Cool. I want. The plug on the front is probably for the mic for voice command. The uh, there's a <laughs> there academic page about a, a restoration of a centurion. It says from the 1980s. That would make sense. All of, all of the minis were just going from rack mounts to smaller case sizes like that. I've got a DG Eclipse that's kind of packaged the same way. They they were just leaving the big rack. 
Yeah. Like, well, that's like about the says, size of the HP 3000 we had at work, which is not the HP 3000 Unix style stations they had later, but the late 70, early 80s mini computer that actually had the external drives with removable platters and, you know, the size. Well, that was the size of the case of the HP 3000 too. So it was a terminal based system. And the last one I'll use. share from uh, Taylor and Amy, they also got their picture taken at the Polybius machine and they've had a fairly different reaction. So I'm not sure who got brain damaged by playing it too long or not. <laughs> I'll let you be the judge. Hmm. We might have lost one. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like terror. Dun, dun, dun. Terror and elation. I, I'm not sure which one's overriding here. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it looked like a really fun show. So I'm glad they've got it back for this year. Hopefully they, they continue doing it in the, in the following years here and uh, keep getting some of the Tandy guys because, of course, they're all local. Because I'd love to be able to talk to some of them. In person. Okay, bug them, I guess, is the technical term. Hey, I think that covers pretty well, uh, both shows fairly well, I think. Um, I'm, I'm glad Ken was along with me for the ride at, at Boat Fest. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, he knows a lot more about the, the various different gaming platforms than I do. I kind of stuck with Coco after 83, 84. So I didn't know a lot of the newer stuff, and I, especially the game consoles. I never did much with game consoles. So, okay. Well, uh, time for a break. Uh, mm. Yeah, let me just take a look. I'm just going to read if um, a couple things here, uh, last minute things that uh, Brendan found interesting at VCF Southwest. Um, so I'll just read these literally out loud. Um, the first one, he said, the Vintage Nerd is a YouTuber who has a large collection was showing his rare Atari 8-bit language cartridges. He and his wife traveled from California for this event and were very friendly and fun to talk to. Um, Edgar Digital <clears throat> arrived from my hometown of, I'm going to butcher this, La Cruces, I'm not sure, of New Mexico to attend. They had tons of retro electronics, analog and digital in their warehouse there. And it was very cool to talk to the guy from whom I bought my vacuum tube oscilloscope audio function generator and replacement Tandy 1000 floppy drive back in the 1990s. Uh, the Macintosh librarian was demonstrating a kit which enabled the use of LCD flat panel displays in old 68K-based Macintosh computers. And Mac librarian is also a member of the Amigos Discord, so I've, I've followed a bit of her stuff. She has that little mascot named Mackie that they put some animated graphics to have the Mac talk to you. It's kind of cool. Polymat of www.701c.org described to me in detail his reverse engineering process before behind replacing the aging NICAD battery in his ThinkPad 701. For those who don't know, this was a very unique IBM laptop, which had a butterfly keyboard. I do remember this mechanism that would enable the keyboard to expand when it was open to be full size. He has all sorts of info about this laptop and information about parts and teardown at his website. The National Video Game Museum, located in the Dallas area, sponsored the show and had rotating Atari 2600 and Nintendo Entertainment System exhibits that everyone could take turns playing from a couch. This reminds me of Boatfest. Uh, I had the opportunity to visit with John Hardy, the deriving force behind the National Video Game Museum, again after meeting him for the first time at his museum a few years ago. In the past, John has shipped out spare parts to folks, including myself, for free, simply to help them restore their systems. They also have a tons of 8-bit computers, some of which were brought to the show. The rarest two that I saw, and we saw pictures of them earlier, with the Atari 65 EXP and the 1450XLD, which I can say we showed pictures of before. Um, so the show opened at 2 p.m. Friday and was packed for the entire afternoon. Saturday was even busier, but on this day, I snuck away from my booth to attend the following talks. And I'm not going to read his full descriptions here because we'll be covering that in the news. 
But Kevin Phillipson's and Michael Rywald's Turbo 9 talk was similar in content to the one that they did at CocoFest 2022 with a few updates. The definitive Tandy panel, here's the names I keep forgetting. Paul Schreiber, Jerry Heap, Rick Thompson, Steve Mosher, and Kathy Parr, Poor, I can't remember how to pronounce the name. Um, this panel described Tandy's history locally to Fort Worth, Texas, in the Northeast U.S. and overseas. Stories were told that related to color computer, the TRS-80, Z80 line, and the Tandy 2000, 1000, 4000 products, as well as other general electronics devices engineered and sold by Radio Shack. Some interesting insights about FCC requirements regarding RF shielding were revealed by multiple members of the panel. There were some pretty cool stories there from watching it. Um, Boise Pete did his colorful history of the cocoa, which we kind of mentioned a bit in the pre-show, um, which covers you know stuff about the cocoa, stuff about OS9, a little bit of a Project Green Thumb, then video techs. Um, that was a pretty good one, too. Um, we've kind of seen that. If you read his book, you've got a lot of the description there, too. Thomas Cherryholm's Fujinet Future Directions talked about uh, or talked described the goals, history, and future plans for Fujinet. Now, I believe Mark, you've actually been kind of keeping up, and I think he's getting yes. he somebody donated a cocoa or something, so you can actually start running the cocoa board. Uh, yes, actually, they're doing some initial work. It just showed up on their uh, Discord, and um, I think it was who was it that uh, I think it was uh, uh, Ron. I think uh, Klein. I think had uh, come up with a system for him to use cocoa too. Okay. Um, Sunday he attended Bo Zimmerman's Beyond the BBS Wi-Fi for Old Computers presentation, uh, described as another's approaches to connect retro computer systems to the internet, uh, which I think Rick Eulen might have some stuff to say on too. Um, but he does the, uh, Zymodem firmware, which I know David Ladd's familiar with as well, which is basically, you know, kind of doing a fake haze protocol that you can run, you know, standard, you know, Cocoa terminal programs to actually access the net and, you know, punch in websites to go to. Right. We're going with W get. <laughs> <laughs> know that there are other sessions I would have liked to attend it. However, the rooms reserved for these talks were often overflowing with attendees in the future. I will make sure I show up earlier for them. That's uh, something I remember doing in Rainbow Fest. Um, at my table, I was demonstrating the follow hardware and software, the Science Fair Microcomputer Trainer, which is the one Nick was asking about, which is a 4-bit TI TMS 1100 CPU spring terminal kit, similar to the 101 electronics kits from Radio Shack in the 80s. Um, and he's got some links that you can you can get to there, which I'll probably add to the show notes later on. Uh, Cocoa One and TDP of one hundred each with a Cocoa VJ installed, running software from Sheldon McDonald, which is the Treasure Island Defense, Paul Shoemaker, which could be a variety of things, Ed Snyder, myself, and showing VG six sixteen color Cocoa VJ photos from Ron Delvo. There you got a shout out. <laughs> These demos were made using flash cartridges by Cloud9 and Retro Innovations, a Sheldon McDonald customized GMC cartridge, Ed Snyder's PSG cartridge, and Darren Atkinson, Ed Snyder's Cocoa STC. And then, of course, we're demonstrating the Pi T10, which is a USB keyboard Atari joystick adapter for the MC10, and demonstrating software from Paul Shoemaker, Simon Jonasson, and Brendan himself. I was using the MCX designs from Darren Atkinson and Ed Snyder for the memory expansion SD card storage. His uh, tier setting Model 4P that we saw the pictures of there is actually running the Orchestra 90. Um, I think, actually, wasn't it the Orchestra 85 or something was the Model 4? I thought the 90 was just the Cocoa one. Does it remember? I know it was a, pre a predecessor to the Cocoa one that was for the Model 134, but I thought it was called 85. Something like that. You're right. Yeah, there is an 85. There's also Orchestra 90 CC. There may have been an Orchestra 90 no CC. Oh, okay. Uh, 
Okay. I just assumed it was from the 85 to the 90 for the Cocoa, but I'm, I could be wrong. Heaven knows it occasionally happens. Um, Retro Tandy, luminaries who showed up at my booth over the weekend to talk for a bit included Paul Schreiber, the person who put artifact colors back into the Cocoa at the request of Tandy Quality Control after they were inadvertently designed out during cost reduction redesign. That's mentioned in Boise's book as well. And Mark Siegel popped by, product manager responsible for the Cocoa 3. Modern Cocoa Hackers, a opportunity to meet. Uh, Paul Shoemaker, the author of Ghost Rush, Poker Squares, and V Poker, amongst other cool games and demos. So he was there in person. And Corey Smith, the basic guru behind uh, gotbasic.com. I'm not familiar with that. Do you, are you guys familiar with him? Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's active in the Discord. He's been working with the uh, what looks like UG Basic as well. This is Micro Game Basic from... Uh, Marco Spin. Oh, I can't get his last name right. Yeah, I know that one. So, what what is uh, the yeah, GotBasic.com? Do you know? Is um, a, a more general basic site from what I looked at. Okay. It's an online IDE kind of thing, if I remember. Because he mentions him specifically as being a Cocoa hacker. So, I'm not sure what specifically he's referring to. So I met a number of folks from the Austin area, which is about three and a half hours drive south of Dallas. Uh, tons of YouTubers, including Amy and Taylor. Uh, though he said they were a bit busy to be able to gain get their attention. They were actually on one of the main panels. Um, people I know from other VCF, Cocoa Fest, Tandy, some events and various luminaries, such as Jerry Ellsworth, who was on the same panels, Taylor, Taylor and Amy and Nate, but guy. Uh, I acquired some hardware and books at this fest because I could actually easily lug them home in the van for a change. I know what that feeling's like. <laughs> Uh, most items were free or cheap. The most expensive item was a working Cocoa 2, which still beat eBay prices. He also picked up a Cocoa 1 not working, boots up to a blank green screen. Cocoa 2 with a, his favorite melty keyboard. Thanks, Corey. A Tandy 1400 HD non-working laptop. And then books, he got an introduction to my computer's volume one, uh, basic concepts by Adam Osborne. 8080 uh, programming for logic design by Adam Osborne. That's the guy behind Osborne Computers, of course. 6800 assembly language programming with Lance Leventhal, computer algorithms and flowcharting, silver and silver, Radio Shack, Tier City application source, software source book volume two. <coughs> this contained a lot of third party stuff that you could uh, find out about because, of course, Radio Shack didn't sell much third party stuff themselves. And they made several volumes of this and included Cocoa stuff as well. Uh, laboratory exercises for digital computers and logic circuits by Tedeschi and Stigliano. Web Security and Commerce by O'Reilly, MySQL and MS, MSQL by O'Reilly, and then a whole bunch of more modern stuff on Visual Basic and HTML, et cetera. So I'll skip those because we're a retro show. And that's basically the notes he sent me about the show. So it's not like he had a good time at it. And uh, we'll cover it a bit more when we get into some of the news stories about some of the seminars that were given away are given during the show. But right now, I think we need a break. Yep. Okay. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Cocoa Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too.
everyone, it's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo Aaron, joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like this should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Denty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? WC Bright says, Hey, I'm Bill B. I am into retro computers of all types, but have just started learning about the Coco family. I heard about the Discord while attending Boatfest in Hurricane West Virginia. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord. And we're back. We have uh, any more to present or shall we go into uh, the game on? Well, I've I, I just put a post to the question in the chat here. I'm not sure if we should do game on or we should do the uh, acquisition and updates first. Um, I think we've lost Brian, so. No, I'm oh, not well, there he is. I'm here. Okay. Um, acquisitions? Yeah. Sure. Uh, it, was, it was the other Brian that left. Brian Schubring, Music Man, had to leave. Oh, okay. Too many Marks, too many Brian's. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Invite some of them to That's why it's too many, too. One. Uh, so who all has acquisition updates? I actually have some, too, including a, a live unboxing. Or unpeeling or something. Um, let's see. Brian had something, and I guess you, I don't, we never actually took a uh, head count. Okay. And, and Ken, did you want to show any of the stuff you bought, or do you want to wait until? I'll wait until a video comes out with it. Okay. Okay, so, till Brian gets ready, uh, Curtis, uh, you want to do yours? Sure. Or are you, yeah. I'm ready. Fine. Okay, so first thing is a uh, boat fest pass that you wear, just to see what show it look like. And uh, they have because they have so many people in their their Discord community uses handles. They have two different sections here: one's for your handle or YouTube channel, whatever, and then your actual name. And of course, I'm lazy and boring, so I do both the same. But I believe like Ken's would have said, Ken Waters and Canadian Retro things. Um. <clears throat> one thing, and I'm trying to, this is one of the interviews we're line, trying to line up too, is the author of this. So this is an Avalon Hill game uh, that came out in 81. It was Avalon Hill's very first game for the Coco um, by William Volk. 
and uh, he wrote versions for the Model 1 and others too, uh, but he did the Cocoa version. But this is the actual original manual from Avalon Hill. There's a scan of this in the archive, and it's got the Tier City Model 1 graphics, which William also wrote. Um, so it's kind of a 3D shoot things and wander the maze type thing. But uh, having the actual original Avalon Hill was kind of cool to pick that up at Vote Fest. And that was on the freebie table. Didn't even cost me anything. I played a lot of that game. Yeah, I played a fair bit of it back then, too. Uh, that and Labyrinth by uh, Aardvark, which is similar in some ways. And then Phantom Slayer came out, and I played that all the time. Next one, this was quite a surprise. This was a gift to me from uh, Pajaco6502, Peter, that we showed some of his pictures from BoatFest earlier. But he actually brought me an actual Dragon user magazine from 1984 and, and sealed in plastic, which I haven't even had a chance to go through yet. So I will. I, it's already been scanned. There's, you can get copies of these on here, but actually having a physical one, this is the first actual Dragon magazine I own. So, And one thing that surprised me is that uh, the magazines, and I kind of forgot this about the UK, but the magazines are a bit bigger physically, like they're a bit taller and they're a bit wider than standard magazines are here. So it, it, it won't fit on my shelf. I tried it. It'll actually start to bowl over the top of the thing. So... I'm just gonna have to lay it somewhere. Paper. What's that? That darn A4. A4. Paper. Yeah, yeah, A4. If you guys have played around with, uh, you know, Xerox or photocopying machines, you might see the option for an A4. And the last one here, I don't even know what these look like yet. Uh, Ken had mentioned that uh, Brent had cut some of these to put into the wheel for the ARG Presents portion, but basically they were selling these little ARG cards. Uh, series one. So apparently, apparently Brent's planning on doing more. So I'm actually going to open these up because I have not seen these. I have no idea what's in them. I don't see a stick of gum. I'm kind of disappointed. Chocolate. So it looks like there's a, kind of a generic ARG. Let's see if we can get rid of the autofocus here. ARG Series 1. And on this particular one, it says ARG presents the Brent and Amigo Aaron. which is kind of a stylized. It's uh, almost like a 3D rendering using older 3D. This one here is, oh, the famous Yeti game that they played. It's, a, it's an obscure system with an obscure game that they both really, really liked called Yeti. So they... I don't know if that's a real bar or not. Probably a little bit blurry. And, uh, well, Tron on the back, which I think is from the game from what I remember. It's been a while since I looked at it. And this is Shea Maxime. This is a French game. I can't remember what the original platform was, but uh, the guy that did the Asteroids port to the Coco that he originally did for the Spectrum and Paris Rat ported that version to the Coco recently. Um, ported this game. Pardon me? Asteroids RX? Yes. So the same programmer is known as Happy Coding X on, on their chat, and he does live streams of coding machine language for the Spectrum. Actually made a, a special version of Shea Maxime starring Brendan Aaron. And they got some screenshots from that, too. So they that was the first time they're actually involved in a video game as characters. <laughs> well, no, yeah. Aaron's been in a game. He's an evil pirate. Yeah, but I think this one came out first, didn't it? You're talking about Mr. Dave's? Yeah, I'm not sure which one came out first. And here's another one with, with Brent and his logo. And that's the natural state of his facial expression whenever Aaron says something live on the show. 
Yep. That looks like Green Mountain Micro Guy. Yeah, Dan Dennis Kitts. And then Retro Rewind has their own little card with a uh, their website on it. And uh, this one here, ARG presents. I'm not sure what you maybe Alan Murphy will be able to recognize what game this is from. I do not recognize it off the top of my head. Uh no, not that one. That's the crappy Sega Master System background, though. Oh, yeah. wasn't this there playing like the Sega art? They had some really crappy art on some of their original cards. That was part of the deal. And this looks like one of those. Like it looks like a two-year-old druid. I remember me Aaron actually mentioned that during the show. And this one, Attack of the Podcast, ARG presents Voice Enhanced. So this is kind of a more modern matrixy style. With glow-in-the-dark glasses, which you can only assume must mean they're 3D. They must be playing Warp Fighter 3D or something. So there's my little unboxing. And uh, other than that, I bought, uh, or I didn't buy, actually, I got uh, gifted a, like I mentioned the fact that I really like payday bars and you can't get them up in Canada. So they have these little mini ones and they bought me in a, a big bag and I had to stuff that into my carry-on luggage to carry it across. But uh, still eating those, those are awesome. Uh, at least they didn't seize them at the border as an illegal import. No, if they were liquid, they probably would have, you know, oh, that's shampoo, you can't carry that on the plane. So Those are, those are a big hit in the pool. Well, it's oh, got no chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it's got no chocolate, so it doesn't look right for that. Right. Because um, they're basically just salted peanuts over top of a center sweet thing, okay. which is like a nut. What's the other one called? A nut roll or something is the other one in Nougat. some other states? Oh, yeah. What do they call it? Uh, yeah. There's a couple of different roll. ones I've seen. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I was heartbroken because really. I bought one of those and it had no chocolate on it. <laughs> yeah, which actually I prefer because I'm, I'm I'm I I like chocolate but not all the time. So not, this is yeah. a peanut car- caramel bar. So well, and now that they don't use real chocolate for chocolate anymore, I might oh, we do something like well, yeah. I know. <laughs> That's why you guys have me keep importing them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's all I had to show some of the stuff from BoatFest. Uh, when Ken gets his video up, he can pop on and and then maybe highlight some of the stuff too, if if or just show the video. Uh, but he he got a lot more than I did. Let's put it that way. Okay, Brian, that's you're a- up. Okay, um, got a couple of things to show you guys here today. Um, mostly kind of board related. Uh, kind of had a little spree of some board stuff here, so I thought I'd kind of share some of these that. Some interesting things, something that I saw on this one here that kind of caught my eye, but uh, maybe you guys can help me identify it because it's definitely not Coco. So let me switch my camera here and you'll see what I'm talking about. Whoops. Okay. This you guys do know. So it's a Coco one board that I picked up from a gentleman. Uh, he was uh uh, I got a couple different boards from him. Uh, I like say an older one. Is it a D or an E? This is a D. Okay. Yep. This I is recognize the uh, covering part of with the chips and the RAM. Yep. Yeah. So this would be a D board here, and um, he wasn't. He didn't have the uh, the transformer for it. So I reached out to him to see if maybe he had the transformer. There's every once on eBay, you'll see people selling just the boards, and sadly. Um, in some cases, it's a case of where the board is, uh, the, the case was really yellowed. So they thought they would just gut it and sell the parts and not realizing that we would probably still buy it. You know, if the board, even if the case was bad, we'd probably still buy it if, at the right price. But there's people out there that will go and part 
a Coco and sell the individual pieces, the keyboards and stuff like that. And in some cases, I understand why. I, I bought a board one time where the case was destroyed. I mean, literally, the, the guy had showed me pieces of it and it was like, yeah, just destroyed. <laughs> and so he was, at least he salvaged some of the parts out of it. In this case here, I was chatting with the seller and he was kind of a collector himself back in the day. Um, I'm sure he probably wouldn't mind me mentioning his name, James Schaefer. Does, I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody at all, James Schaefer. Not, not to um, me. Okay. Um, he said he had kind of a collection and he had to move and to save space, he took all the boards out of all of his machines and saved just the boards. And now he's gotten older and he's selling all the pieces and stuff like that. So I happened to buy a couple of his boards and stuff like that. So this was one of them. This is a, a D board. But what kind of caught my eye um, with the board and his picture was not good enough, but I, I bought the uh, board anyway. So let me go ahead and take the cover off here and you'll see what I'm talking about. See if you guys, uh, something jumps out at you guys. There's no can. Well, it's got the ceramic CPU. Ceramic CPU. A ceramic CPU. And I haven't tried firing it up, though. But the numbers on the CPU, it is it does say Motorola. But, uh, and I could try to zoom in is here like a little bit. like Let's see if I can, whoops. Let me see if I can zoom in a little bit here. Yeah, it looks like it's got a composite mod on there, too. Where's yeah, the RF, RF can? It's underneath, underneath the, the it's composite. It's right there, Ron. Oh, it wasn't covered. The camera's it's not, not going to focus. It. Focus, damn you! Okay, <laughs> let me... Uh... <laughs> there we go. Let me see if I can get this thing to focus here just a second. Let me zoom in a little bit here. They're going to focus? Everything uh, but the part you want to show us. Getting closer. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so it says it's a, on the top it says Motorola and it says it's a CS or SC8400L. There's also a T6M8043 or the bottom number says it's an 8040809. So I haven't been able to find anything out about it to see if it was some sort of a version of the 6809 or I wonder if is, that's a Tandy number. Like yeah. Cause they sold a few no, in the early days that they had that Tandy branding thingy. Really? Let's see is where that, it says it's a D board. Yeah, Cause I know a lot of the funky ceramic chips like that will have strange part numbers because they aren't really the chip yet. So yeah, that could I be do. really cool. I think so yeah, Rich, I, Richard Lorbieski showed us one of these on that C board. He had okay, so I don't know if it's yeah, the exact same number, but similar. I have a chance I have, to fire it up though. But uh, go ahead, I have an AMD um 6809. Okay, that's cool. Where does it so, say it's a D board? What's that right by the board? cartridge port there? Yeah, right where right it's here. pointing. Can we see it? No. No, nope. uh, let's see here if it's going to come into focus there. Yeah, it'll be number dash I, I, I got, upside down. I got, it's probably upside down, but right there is where it says the. Uh, I have a hard time trying to see where I'm pointing at there, and it's in there though. But right. that's where it says. Yep. So yeah, this this is what kind of caught my eye with the with the board. He didn't have the transformer for it, so um, but I I have a I have an extra transformer I can use with it. This does have a composite mod of some sort, and it looks like there's a lot of wires here. Some of it might have been for a RAM upgrade. This still has that, it has that, that, um, that Tandy RAM in it where it has the TC 
on the RAM there. So it has that original Tandy RAM, which is kind of cool. Um, it has a 6822 and a 6821 in it. Uh, here's the, the 6883, the processor, and our uh, the, the 6847. Yeah, and it has extended basic too because it has both ROMs. Both ROMs in there. So, yeah. So, so it's probably 64. been probably been expanded to 64, and that's probably what some of these jumpers are here for. Yeah, there's some trace cuts involved the D board. So, do you see any trace cuts in the bottom? Um, it, has, it, 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 has a, it, it has a shield on it, and it always has oh. kind of this extra. I don't know what this is. If this is something he did, or if this was something that I've never seen before, but it was kind of a weird shield that was there. I'm not sure what. Probably that's, would have went under the keyboard. I'm trying yeah. to remember yeah. if Turned I had over. that in mind. Uh, I might have. That's a manufactured part, so no one just made it. Okay. Yes. I think the holes should li those holes should line up with the uh, keyboard posts. Oh, to where, okay. to where this sat, this sat like this here. Under right, because the... they, they kind of over overdid the FCC shielding at first. Okay, they kind of had to if you watch the VCF thing. <laughs> they explain oh, okay. about getting that process done. So that's that's what they did to do it. They double did it and shielded it and put a shield over the shield. Yeah, because yeah. the original keyboards had the uh, phenolic back, and not the metal back. Right. So the keyboard became a nice little antenna. Yeah, and if, you, if everybody remembers too, the Model One utterly failed. It was actually they said there's no way to cheaply get it to work, so that's they kind of just gave up on right. trying to get it FCC approved after the standard came in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I thought it was kind of a nice little board. So yeah, I'm gonna. See if I have, like I said, I have any chance. I'll have to pull a transformer out and see if this thing actually fires up or not. So, is it really as clean as it looks like? Yeah, I think it from, is. Yeah. From here, it looks new. You could oh. have got this out of a bag. Yeah, I, I mean, there's little little bits of dust here and there, but overall, it's very clean. Yes. Yep. So the bottom That's still has the shield on it. Yes. Yeah, Rick. I, as as to your point there, yes, I've seen much worse. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, so there's that one, and then there's another board I got from him. Let me uh, bring that one up here. Mm, here we are. And this one I did manage to get the transformer from him. I uh, uh, I bought this first, but then he had the uh, this Coco One board, and I asked if he had the transformer for the for this, and he said he did, so he sent that to me as well. So he had a pack. Good nice. multi pack. Just a multi pack for it. So yeah, very, first version. More importantly, a multi pack that can always be fixed. <laughs> no matter what happens to it, you can get the parts, you can fix it, unlike the little ones. Right, because it has so. all the logic, and then all you got is the pal up here. So yeah. right, which you can burn yourself. So yeah. right. And then he did have the transformer, which would set about right here. So. Mm -hmm. so that might be kind of fun to. I was looking to see here. Did he? What if he just clipped the wires? Where? I'm not sure if he clipped the wires for the where the transformer where the 110 would go in. Because aren't yeah. they usually on? A, aren't yeah. they usually on a post? Yeah, I believe so. If you flip it over, I think. Oh, here this, it is. Yep, here we are. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, yep, maybe go right here. Yep, go right there. I was just, it was right in front of me there. So, yep. So, yeah, nice. I mean, there should be no reason why you can't uh, fire this up. So, well, that's ready oh, for repack. While, What's up? While that's we're on the topic, while we're on the topic, someone asked about a large multi pack case and I lost the reference. That um, would be me. I, I, I dropped you a message about two weeks ago. 
Oh, okay. Well, yep. I'll send you one because that'll fix that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. So then another, he actually had one more board that he was selling. And this one here really has a interesting, let's see here. Let me get this all kind of untangled here. <laughs> this one here is kind of, kind of an interesting set of wires here. Just a second. Let me get this all untangled here. There we go. I just don't want anything to fall apart on it. Ugh. Let me try to put it up here, and then I'll have to straighten it all out. <laughs> this one here has a. This one here had the. Uh, uh, this one had a bajathon on it. I think is what he had going on here. So, <laughs> he, he goodness really hacked this up. Let me get this all untangled here, just a second. Dude. There we go. There we go. Okay, so here's the transformer or the power supply for it, but it looks as though, and I haven't quite figured this out yet. I was kind of studying this one. This is a Coco Two board. Um. I do love the, uh, the the gold top. This has the, the the that ceramic that we're talking about with the TC on it. These are really cool. Um, let me flip this around so it makes more sense to you guys. Here we go. Well, it looks like you've got two couple of different mods there. Yeah. So mm -hmm. one, one, one of them here, looks like almost like the twelve volt add-on to run the old disc controllers or something. Yeah. This was a this one here. This is a yeah. computerware. Uh, this was a computerware. Um, uh, uh, audio video mod that that piggybacks on top of your your 6847 right here that, or it goes into the same socket so your 6847 like a, goes like on top a reverse of this mod one. or something yeah so and he actually let's see where's it at here in the mail here he's he, he actually mailed me this just the other day afterwards um he found the uh he found the instructions that went with it the uh, the video plus monitor driver hmm. uh, the video plus board there so he uh it shows all the instructions and everything on how to. Well, does it say what it does? It's it's just a composite output and audio output for the for the color computer. Yeah, it adds comp composite uh, audio video out uh, instead of just RF. Mm -hmm. You but, wonder why they would put the chip. You know, well, you don't have to rip out your video cans on this mod. Like that's a dual satellite board. Your RF still there. You can still use your RF. I would assume. Right. Well, so, have, like the. So, Ron, on that on the previous board I showed, you saw uh, or shown, you saw all those red and yellow wires there that were going over and tapping different points around the board. Here, they're tapping it from from the video chip itself and then generating the video signal here. If I'm saying that correctly, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes yep. sense. And uh, <laughs> I, I haven't had a chance to read the instructions, but this does have a little toggle switch right here. And this toggle switch goes to the board, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, but I'm wondering if maybe this might have been like an uh, inverse video, maybe. Uh, Could black be. And that white was a common color. switch. Well, yeah. I have a, um, I have a, a, a composite on mine, and it has a black and white switch. Okay. Could be, yeah, to get that clearer text for yeah. serious black and white. Yeah. But my <laughs> mine has just a tiny board that's on the um, motherboard there, laying there, and. Um, and it's all hooked up to inside the can and without taking the can off. Cool. So then, then there's also this board here. And this looks like this is, is homemade. This is using just a Radio Shack uh, perf board. Yeah, um, I, I think Curtis the, was right. That's a 12-volt uh, supply. Right. The big wide wire is feeding the 12-volt line on the cartridge port directly. So. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. then you could run the X-pad. You could run the original disc controllers and a few other things that do not run without 12 volts. Right. right. 
Yep, because this is a 12-volt transformer here, and it comes right over here, and it taps into uh, this cap over here. Because um, I think, because this is your, this is a 12-volt voltage regulator right here. So, but then, yeah, so it's coming over here to feed the 12 volts there. But I'm wondering, nice. though, could this be, could this be in place of the circuit? If you're feeding the 12 volts, does this regulate down and give you your 12, or this give you 12 volts, but would it also give you the... That transformer is not big enough to feed the whole cocoa. That transformer can only do the 12 volt work. So would this maybe be piggybacked on top of the transformer? Well, that's not where the transformer used to be, I bet. And the transformer is remoted on the end of a wire outside of the cocoa now. Is that what's going on? Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering right here, because this has been, uh, these wires are clipped up. Oh, you know what? Yep. I just noticed something. You're exactly right. Right. Here's the transformer. Let's see if this will come into focus. That's where you fed the 120 volts to that small transformer. To right that here. little guy. With see these the right here? These, there's two little white wires right here that have been cut. Right here and right there. Ah, oh, so he's taking half of the 18 volts and, yeah, okay. Right that there. Those two right here. Yep. That's on the 110 side. But um, it's, right. That, that's correct because this transformer takes 110. In a, a, this is a, a 120 volt. To oh, beauty. 12 volt. To 12 volts, and there you go. You got I all wonder if power. it was low enough to fit on underneath the keyboard. Did he need that? Because oh, he had right. an if older you, if you turn it around, yeah, and put the transformer sort of the transformer sort of under the motherboard, then maybe the real transformer fits yeah. in the spot where it belongs. I mean, this might have sat over here like this, maybe. Well, or no, under if the you slide it under the regulator, kind of. You oh. know, imagine you kind of stuff that under the keyboard somehow and then put the real transformer in its regular hole i don't know maybe yeah yeah it just know. depends on the height if the height of that other transformer he had a 12 volt um disc controller maybe right or, or an x-pad like the graphics tablet that required 12 volts too some of the earliest uh third-party hardware required 12 volts as yeah. well even yeah. serial ports the the Coco Two doesn't have that metal shield around the transformer, so it could have just sat on top of the transformer. All right, just kind of toss it up there and call it a day. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Well, because that board's too big to fit on that hole right there where the case was. So yeah, it doesn't really fit now that you mention it. So they probably, they probably stuffed it under the keyboard. Yeah, there's no way to tell what model that uh, came out of, right? Twenty six dash That's a thirty twenty seven board. It is. Yeah, that's original Coco Two board. With really I'm nice old parts at the Rev B of the of the board. So yeah. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then along with that, let's see here. Where's it at here? I think it's in the box here. <laughs> he um, he threw this in there. It must have been just laying around. <laughs> There's a candy Raider Shack part there. This is the oh, joystick potential. Oh, those are cool. I made a lot of things with those. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of, he just must have just been grabbing some random parts. And then the one thing that was really cool that was with it, and it didn't Me, there's connect. there's more? Yeah, it didn't connect to it because you can see this has the edge card. He had one of these guys sitting in the box. Oh, a Mark Data Products keyboard. Oh, that yeah. would have went with that Cocoa One board you got. It, it's very possible. I, I agree with you yeah. on that one. Well, look look um, at the edge connector where it plugs in. Does it have the double row yeah, pins? That's, no, it, that's, yeah, it has, it has the row of pins. The where the, uh, that, that's for the Cocoa One, the original Cocoa One keyboards. Right. Yep. But uh, yeah, cool. he had sent, sent it along. Yeah, but if this, you pull this, the adapter this, off, it'll fit in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were, did that so they adapted to both, but the D and E boards had the header pin connector, if I remember correctly. Yep. The D for sure right. did. I can't remember if the E did. But. Right. So, but uh, the F yeah, board switched to the ribbon cable. I, I do love these keyboards, though. They're, yeah, they're cool. I, think I've, I think I've got one of those. <laughs> Which, by the way, I have just released a key fix for the F board ribbon cable to the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> There's a comment in the chat here from Wayland. He said, that's a Dragon keyboard. And I think it actually, they both were sourced from the exact same spot. So they are the, basically the same keyboard. Oh. That was one of the best feeling keyboards. Ooh. This was the Dragon? <laughs> Is that what they're saying? Well, the same, the same keyboard, whatever type key types, keycaps they mm-hmm. are, is the exact same as as the dragon ended up picking. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So yeah, that was all that I got from uh, um, from that gentleman there. And then uh, let's see. Let me kind of clean my mess up here a little bit. I got a few more board related items here to share with you guys here. Let's see. Let's oh, don't worry, we're not bored yet. <laughs> you, need, bored yet. you need some. One gallon Ziploc baggies. You just put them in the one gallon baggies. And yeah, there you go. Um, where's it at? Okay, so another board that I bought a while back here, and this one is a this one's an E version. This one actually works. I've powered this one up already. Oops, is it in focus here. There we go. It's just a nice clean board. Uh, let's see. Your very, is missing the extended ROM, looks like though. Yeah, yeah, it might be missing the extended ROM there. Unless this here, what chips are we got here? But there's no, the uh, the jumper's not over here for the, um, sorry, that's not the right jumper. There it is. Yeah, it should be jumpers for 41632K for RAM. So there's, so there's a jumper on it, and it says 4 or 16, and the jumper's on. What's the okay. chips that, are, that it's on the, what RAM chips it got on it? Uh, it's the Tandy RAM. It's the, boy, get these old eyes here to focus here. Uh, I bet you there's 16 Ks. Focus, damn you. Let's see here. Uh, uh, SCM90072, or it's the 8040016. Yep, so those are 16 Ks, which would would go along with not having extended basic. Okay. And with this one here, I do have... No, I'm bag. trying to remember, Mark B, you might remember this better than me, but didn't the e-board have the 32K jumper too? Uh, I thought it was just the D's that had the 416s. I'm not I'm sure. On, uh, e-boards probably didn't, but it was, of course, the earlier ones had that uh, high-low, had the high-low jumper like that one does right there. Yeah, because e-board was the first one where 32K became fairly easy. Like it was like stock. From Tandy, that's when they started selling 30K machines, I thought. Also, yeah, because you had the half bad 64, so you had the high low jumper. Right, right. Oh, yep. Yeah. And this one, and I did have the transformer with this one here, too. So, and this one's fairly clean. This one actually has a little more dust on it, uh, Rick, than the other mm-hmm. one did. So, <laughs> but it still looks, still yeah. looks awfully clean, though. Yeah. So, that Mark Data keyboard you have would fit that one or that first one you showed us. Correct. Yep, with the, uh, the, yeah. the the header pins right there. Right. Right. Yep. So, yeah, but this was again. This was another one here. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. I think this was the one that had the the crushed case that he was selling the uh, uh, the insides to it. Um, let's see. That was over there. So one more thing here. Let's see. Along this, this is a project I'm kind of working on. Uh, there was a guy out there on eBay selling them, and not that these are difficult to make, but. Somebody was making them, so I went ahead and picked up a couple of them. Uh, this this would allow you to take your, like your three and a half inch floppies 
which have the the the, uh, right. the pin roll, and then go mm -hmm. to the edge, edge card connector. I mean, it's an easy enough project to make, but right. the guy was selling these cheap enough and nice little cards. So I picked up a couple of those for a future project. The original Tandy ones uh, also had a, a resistor pack on it for pull-ups. Oh, okay. Because oh, the really? kit also contained the uh, uh, 6822 to upgrade the 21. So you had to add the pull-ups. Oh, okay. And this is a, uh, yeah, it says 34 pin floppy. And then it does have like the different. Uh, uh, oh, so that's the floppy connector. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep, this is the floppy connector. Did I say disk drive? I'm sorry. If I did, I meant uh, floppy drive. No, I actually thought you were still on keyboards. Yeah, that's what I thought, oh, too. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> no, changing channels here, <laughs> Mark. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, get your three-and-a-half-inch drive into your Tandy cable without... Uh, yep, without uh, hacking things up. Those are handy for a GoTech. Right. And then... Um, I've been wanting to buy one of these for a little while, uh, just as a project there. Um, uh, even Ian Maverick sells these out there. It's his, uh, um, the, uh, the floppy drive controller that he sells. Has yeah, the 502 the clone, basically. Yep. It has all the chips there and everything. So, um, and then he sends gold sends plated, it, right? Gold yeah. plated. Yep. And has all the resistors and everything. So, and then it has, a an instructions that come with it. So, um, he's been selling them for a long time. Um, just never really got around to buying one. I decided nice. to go ahead and pick one up there. So, so where um, do you get this? Do we have yeah. that? It's on e well, he's been selling them on eBay for a while. Okay. Yeah, he's from Australia. So, right. He also makes ours through the two pack as well. Right. So, pick that up. Let's see. We have a lot of cool stuff coming out of Australia. <laughs> yeah, except for Neutroid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making sure Nick's awake. <laughs> oh, another thing that he. Another thing, I'm going to switch channels, and then I got one more thing that I'm kind of hoping maybe you guys can help me mystery with. This is something else the guy had thrown. The guy that I got those boards from. This is a unfortunately kind of a a sad uh, affair for a deluxe joystick. It's missing the little crown on top of the joystick, and some of the buttons are busted out there. But he he sent me a message saying he was going to throw one half of the DIN plugs missing, but he said maybe I can use it for some parts or something. So you know, I guess. Well, then there's the 3D drum. printed versions of those things on the bottom for springs can... centered and. Free float. Yep. And I it would be uh, difficult to replace this, but yeah, I've got a scrap joystick. I've got a big box full of scrap joystick parts. So let's yeah. So I mean, I guess it's better make than that workable. Yep. And then you'll have a workable one again, right? Yeah. The it's, STLs for the uh, the switches, I think, are both on Thingiverse, and I think a person on Facebook was it been now three years ago. Post them in a, in the Facebook channel because we covered that um, once right. before, yeah. and it was both the arms. But the thing is, is after dealing with Mikey, there's like three or four different versions of the arms for the deluxe joysticks. <laughs> so, oh. and Mikey found that out the hard way because he had me print up some, and I sent them to him, and they didn't work in his deluxe. So oh, no. Yeah, this the the mechanism seems to be working fine. Um, the uh, the little tab that you use to flip here—that's is that is that part out there as a printable piece? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, okay. the tab is what broke and not the post that kind of holds it in. Right. So I haven't tore it apart, but uh, I mean, if anything, you know, got got a replacement switch and whatever. So new pots and yeah, the whole yep. thing. 
And then um, the other day, um, John Linville had posted um, a link to a YouTube video uh, that was basically highlighting the, uh, the, the Sega Joypad that he was involved with that project there back in the day. And it was an older video of about seven years ago. And it was a, a video that Atari Leaf um, had done. And although the video pertains to the Sega Joypad, he starts the video out by highlighting a couple Coco joysticks. Um, the, uh, the, the Black Beauty joystick we're all familiar with, the Deluxe joystick, and the Pistol Grip. Well, the fourth one that he's shown was one that looked like this. That the N, I don't know what that goes well, called. The, the, Endicott the, or something, maybe? Well, it's the Commander. Commander oh, okay. Deluxe is what it was called. And he said it was a kind of a unique one for the Coco. And so, of course, my I perked up on this and I started doing a little bit of searching. And I did find this one out on eBay. But it's not a Coco. It was, uh, you know, your Atari Commodore mm -hmm. type. And... So I started doing some searching and um, I looked in Rainbow, looked for information online. I have not found any reference because there were a lot of manufacturers out there that made joysticks that all looked the same, you know, like the like the craft joystick that looks like our deluxe joystick. Well, it's they made by craft, so it would make it, sense. <laughs> right. And it, well, right. But it's made by craft, but they the, the, the same body of the joystick looks the same, but they made connectors for that would work for Atari. They made connectors for Apple. They made connectors for uh, the Coco. And I'm assuming that this would be a similar situation, um, but I, I haven't been able to find it. So I, I went ahead and bought this one on eBay. And when I took it apart, it does have um, the same sort of adjustments like what the Deluxe has, where you can adjust the centering and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and inside is a pair of 120K um, pots. And so it really would not be very difficult to mod this to work with the cocoa and so i guess i'm just kind of reaching out to the community uh you know through through this channel um i may drop a post on uh, facebook as well if anybody does remember seeing this for the cocoa or is it possible that mm -hmm. the guy that was on atari leaf maybe had one but it had been modded <laughs> so probably the latter i guess because the only joystick i remember uh, a coco manufacturer selling that even looked remotely like this is the endicott that okay. was available about 82 83 i think mm -hmm. the so one thing question. i was go ahead does that commander thing lift up there's like an obvious stick your thumb in it and open it um. no that's just a weird thing i think it it might it looks like i can see a little gap around here so this might have been maybe just a snap in, oh, in like a maybe different co configuration or something. There might be yeah. something else there, or even brand name depending on what machine it was for. Maybe or maybe, another maybe a light joystick. <laughs> now there was one thing that I thought interesting, and there's a switch right here, and what you can't see is it says left and right. And so when I oh, opened the case, yeah. it became very relevant what they did. So you can see here we have two buttons on this side and a pair of buttons on this side. And essentially, when righties. You, right, when you flip the switch, it either makes these buttons active or these buttons active. It's just a double throw, double pull switch that's underneath here. And hmm. so when you're when you flip it to the one side, then these are your your left and right and uh, or your not your left and right, your 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 right buttons. And this would be your left buttons. 
So if you flip the switch, these would be inactive and you can only use it this way. And, you know, it's, it's not too uncomfortable, you know, to, to play this way or if you hold it like this. Get um, a screwdriver I, in that slot. I haven't, th this feels a little uncomfortable to try to hold it. I, you know, like, unless right. maybe you hold it like this, maybe you could, you could go like this with your thumb. It just, so you can't of, use of, it to, you can't use it the easy way, which would be thumb on the left button and forefinger on the right button <laughs> and then grab your joystick with the other hand. Well, no, because you could, you know, if you well, I'm wondering, thing, like, is this designed you know, to be a dual button joystick with left and right, or is it meant to be a single button joystick where you can hold it as, a, a joystick ways. or with your you know your thumb on well, the side button as an individual single button joystick right the way that it's wired these uh and the switch these would be active or these would be active the way it's wired inside but are, are they both active okay. at the same time as two different buttons or are they just the same they, button basically no they are two different buttons oh, okay. And in, okay in the video he references oh. a six pin din so this would work okay. on your you know as your as your as a so, deluxe joystick would so the only way you can't set it up is the way I would want to, which the button on the next to the C is my thumb and the button next to the R is my forefinger. And then I'm working the joystick part with my right hand. Oh, oh I see. You're talking like that. Yeah, left hand for buttons, right hand for the joystick, right? Right. And that way, it, that's the only way you can't set it up <laughs> with their switch. Right. <laughs> So, but uh, I just thought it was an interesting one. I had never seen it before. And uh, cool. so, and it would not be difficult. Uh, I need to check the wiring to see, but it looks essentially it's wired up the same way as the deluxe would be, um, meaning, uh, you know, a, a voltage divider is how they wire it up inside there. So now, since it has the Atari joystick connector, do you know if it's uh, a potentiometer like an analog or is it pure digital? I, I believe it's analog. And although the, a lot of your Atari joysticks are, Switch. Um, yeah, are, are switches and stuff like that. So I don't know how that would work with a with an Atari, other than, That'll... you know, if it's in the middle, if it's anything less than five volts, it perceives it as you haven't pressed it. And so when Bob's you go this way it. here, what's I think that? Bob's got it. I think it picks up on the paddles. Is oh, it it's the paddle to... controller. They use a separate oh, for the paddle signals. Oh, because those okay. are analog. Okay. Yeah. Can't yep, you find sense. info on the internet for that brand? No, I, I I found some information, but every reference is for Atari, yeah. Commodore, you know, that type of thing. Any of them that would have used this type of uh, connector. I haven't found any reference to the color computer for this yet. So well, that's I'm why I'm kind of thinking that as I'm thinking that somebody yeah. uh, hacked it. Well, the paddles are different connectors on that DIN, so you could figure it out pretty quick. That's cool. Right. So I, I really hate to... To, to modify anything though, but if I can definitively find out that oh. there there was never a cocoa version of it, it might be kind of fun to build an adapter. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I'm, I'm going to look at that to see because it might be a chance where I could do an adapter and route the right pins to the right ones. But if it's not wired up internally correctly for yeah. uh, for a voltage divider, it's not going to the, the cocoa is not going to. I'm pretty sure if it's wired as a paddle controller for Atari, I think you're going. Okay. It's probably is. It's Are there like any controllers that would have uh, batteries in it? Mm, the joystick yeah. port yes. on a Coco has has the five volts that it requires. On well, that's the problem is the, the voltage in a joystick is a reference, so you can't really use batteries because they don't hold the voltage. So right. yeah, the only joystick would, or the only uh, Coco controller I remember that used the joystick or sorry, used a battery was the Dicom uh, Master System Phaser light adapter that did require right. a nine volt battery. So 
But right. wouldn't the uh, Atari paddle be a single rheostat? And well, yeah, but they had two paddles. Two. But there were oh, two okay. paddles connected to one connector on that system. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, one on the X, one on the Y, right? I'd get a screwdriver and that's The later Apple IIs had uh, had that jack too. Okay. You'd get a screwdriver in that slot. But they were strictly <laughs> resistant, so and they weren't wired as the voltage divider, 150k on. Oh, okay. That's you had it open, right? Yeah, I, I took the screws out the oh, back of so it. So there yeah. isn't any holder for a battery under that. No. No. Thing. Okay. No. That answers nope, that. Nope. Yep. The wires come right. The wires come into the side right here, and then they just uh, they, they break out and go to the different points inside. I think there was a uh, left right-handed one. Well, that's what the, that's what the switch. That's what we were that's what we were talking about here. I mean, is that if they came if as a is, pair, was the other one in the pair oh, right. the opposite plan? With the, ball, with the bulge on the other side. <laughs> oh, with the bulge on the wrong side. I don't know. I there's there is a number of photos out there on on the internet that I found, and they all they all look like this. So anyway, I just thought it was an interesting one. Um, I picked it's this different. one up pretty reasonably, and I, uh, I'm guessing it was a hack job to get on the cocoa. I don't remember seeing this anywhere for the cocoa. Yeah, on its I own. didn't. I, I didn't find anything in the rainbow. I haven't dug any further, but I didn't find any reference in the rainbow magazine at all. So what, what's the picture of the, above the, uh, in, uh, it's just a, it looks like a person holding a mini version of the joystick. It's ah. kind of hard to see, but, uh, there's yeah, a, you Nike see name or something. Yeah. <laughs> you think they'd have a duck on there. It was the like 80s. Commander. It looks like David Ladd sitting in his room surrounded by a bunch of computer stuff that they are representing with letters here. So he has no place to sleep. <laughs> Oh yes! Oh, now you started him. <laughs> right, right on the person's knee. They're they're kind of sitting here, and then right on the tip of their knee, you can see kind of a there's kind of a long, thin little white spot, which I'm assuming would be a mini representation. Is he actually using the, a joystick? Yes, he is, and he's okay. he's holding it. He's holding it like this. Look, like he's holding it with his fingertips is what it looks like. It's kind of hard to tell, but look at they're holding. Next it like this. topic. <laughs> Yeah, I believe Nick was making an innuendo there. Oh, Nick, yeah. Nick, okay. bad Nick, bad Nick. <laughs> on to the news. Yeah. Now we still got to do game on challenge yet. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, Nick has a five minute timeout period right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, just that was the last weird. thing I wanted to show. I was hoping maybe someone might uh, might be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that one." That's what I was kind of hoping for, but uh, I do anyway. not. Nope, not me. You have succeeded in flummoxing us all. Never there you seen go. It. Oh. <laughs> Very good. Well, that's all I have to share with you today, gentlemen. Hmm. Okay. And oh. thank you for everybody's input on everything. So that's fine. All right. Um, Ken, you wake. Nope. <laughs> nope, I'm not. Okay, well, we go on to the news then. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'll wake up. I'll wake up. Okay, here we go. Or do we need a commercial break first? Or do, yeah. do the uh, game on challenge then the commercial break? Idea. Yeah, do the okay. break before the news because the news has actually got a fair bit in it. So, okay.
Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Kicks, and we had a total of 16 players. Sort of. In 15th we had Canadian Retro Things with 4537. Mark B, 6659. Ed Rhodes, 8481. Sabhead, 9227. Shenley, 10,891. Coconut Bob, 11,104. Fred Provencha, 11,162. Sloopy Malibu, 12,465. Mr. Evil Dead, 13,637. Jim Rye, 15,358. Buck Owens, 20,326. So he gets first place on the wrong game. Well, thanks Wait, everybody that played this week, and we'll see you all again next week. Good result. That's one way to win. <laughs> yeah, the Spectral Associates versus the Tom Hicks version. <laughs> oh, man, he already revealed what this week's game's going to be. I did? No, I didn't. No, the uh, qu quicks. We got it, Mark. Well, I think we did quicks already, didn't we? Past. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw Peter's uh, thing. Yay! I won something. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're going to be talking about him in the news too. He was on a guesting on another podcast that mentioned the cocoa a few times. Well, we'll get to that news. I mean, go ahead, Ken. Sorry. All right. So with kicks, I uh, kind of had a look through stuff. I couldn't find any articles or reviews of it or anything. So, yeah, I don't know what people thought of it at the time. Um, I thought it was a pretty good uh, version of quicks, but uh, it had its problems with a few times that uh, you're guys seem to get stuck in the middle of nowhere. And I know, Curtis, you were complaining about how there's no um, fast or slow moving. It's just one speed. Yeah, that that's a bit annoying compared to the original. I must say. But, uh, I mean, it, it certainly looked a lot like the original, so. Um, yeah, it looked closer than the, uh, the Spectral one, for sure. And I did find that... Uh, the energy thing in this game certainly uh, sometimes would get pretty darn big on the screen and make it almost impossible to uh, escape it. But I don't know. Uh, what did anybody else that played it think of the game? 
Anybody? On Quicks? The main complaint. Figure out how to do that inverted T thing. Right. The main complaint I heard was apparently you can get one pixel off and get yourself stuck. That happened yeah. to me in the live stream. I think yeah, that happened to me a couple of times. Yeah, like you end up with uh, going back on yourself and then you're stuck because you can't back up. Yeah. And they can't kill you either. So you're, you're really stuck. Like the game just goes perpetual forever. And then you oh, I don't know. Reset. It killed me every time I did that. Yeah. Nope. They would go around me every time because I was stuck and couldn't move and they couldn't get close enough to hit me. So they just kept wandering around. Yeah, you were like, oh, well, usually what happened when I got stuck is the little thing would form at the back of my tail and come out and zap me. The fuse? The fuse. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, that thing. That fuse like thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, um, I don't know. Does don't anybody know. have any tips or tricks about this game? Or I didn't yeah. play it quite enough to uh, figure out any tips or tricks, but I did see Buck Owens had, uh, was it Buck Owens put in the thing yes. about how to trap the sparks? Yeah, that was what I was going to mention was on the Discord, there was a cool little illustration of where you can place uh i believe it's like under the p and under the e in players where you can build little boxes that will help trap the sparks there so you can uh work on clearing up the rest of the board less bothered yeah i didn't get a chance to try that but does anybody else have anything to add to that I think Curtis pretty much summed up the issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I not too much more to say on that. Um, I mean, visually, it definitely a, looks closer to the arcade. It's, it's yeah, a, even though it had a few issues, it was still a lot of fun to play. Yeah. Good gameplay. Yeah. Overall, without the, the getting stuck. Yeah. Which, I mean, that was just annoying sometimes. Yeah. Especially would, if you were having a really good game. <laughs> I would mention that Dave Veer in the chat here mentioned that that I think he had, he had said it's his favorite version of Kicks on the Coco. So. And, and it's always been a patience game in the arcade. You have to kind of balance greed and patience so that you can stay ahead of the fuse and the sparks, but not jump out too far and get actually run into by the kicks. So that's why I suck at this game. I fail on both those points. Yeah. You just have to have a little bit of patience and, you know, time the moves. Uh, I've seen some of them where they build a lots of little tiny, small boxes just kind of, you, there's almost like they've got a, a rhythm or a timing, like a music in their head, where they're just building a little box, building a little box, to, to something going on that they're repeating in their uh, themselves. And they just work their way halfway across the board, and then one little tiny line, and suddenly you've completed the whole thing. It's, so it's a good game for people with obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> <laughs> just keep swimming, keep swimming. Just there keep you swimming. go. <laughs> And so the other game that we were playing this week was uh, Jacks Are Better Poker from uh, Paul, Paul Shoemaker. Sh Paul Shoemaker, yeah. And this one, you're allowing the MC10 version and the Coco 1 2 version and the brand new released yesterday Coco 3 version, correct? Um, Sure. Mark's the one that denounced the game. So it's all up to him. Oh, okay. Mm. It was actually the, uh, uh, the chat that picked it, chosen by the chat. Oh, chosen by the chat. Okay, chat. Are we allowing all three versions? 
Yeah. Yeah. There we go. We've got a yes. So yes, we are. Why? Yes, we are. Don't say we're not a democratic show. <laughs> yeah. Play games. Have fun. Who put a so, I mean, right? that's win that face money and no prizes. That game is basically just um, poker. So if you know how to play poker and Video yeah, the video game. poker style like you see in yeah. casinos and stuff. Yeah. You need a pair of jacks or better. You get one chance to change any number of cards that you want. And and the more you bet, the more coins you bet, the bigger the payout proportionally. It's like a geometric yeah. scale rather than a arithmetic. And I've no, no Alice version. By the way, Mr. Dave is asking, Is there's an Alice version, I hope. I'm, I'm pretty sure the MC10 version works in the Alice, is it not? It might, it but we didn't translate it. You got to just figure it out yourself, all you poor French-speaking people. Um, <laughs> it's not in French, though, so yeah, the Alice probably won't run it. <laughs> yeah, it's not allowed in Quebec. It only comes in one language. Right, it's against the law <laughs> in some places. I've noticed on the uh, Game On Challenge on the channel and Discord that there's been some uh, hints already uh, on playing poker. About oh, how yeah. to do your yeah, betting. Buck guys so. send a, like a PDF with some strategies specifically for video poker style game, like that that type of rules. Yeah, so I just keep betting until I'm broke. Yeah, <laughs> that's my strategy. See, I, I I I'm way ahead of you there, Ken, because I just start off broke and I don't play. Well, you turn the game on, you automatically got a hundred. Although so far my oh sorry, I thought you were talking about real life. <laughs> So just post that as a screenshot and, you know, you're at least ahead of where you're going to end up minutes later. Well, my, my only what screenshot I, I got so far is zero. So by the way, eight bits in the basement uh, in the chat there says that worked for me. He's talking about the Alice version, but maybe I was playing the wrong game again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, is there a strip poker for the MC 10? There's for the Coco 3, it's included with Nitro 90 AV if you're of that. No, guys. Election. No. Bad guys. No. Not, that will not be on the Game On Challenge. Don't what? worry. This is a family-friendly show. There will be no strip poker. No. Bad. Well, I've got a, well, you know, I've got a great idea Dave, for the next David. time we have to pick. Okay. <laughs> David. Come on, chat. We we can modify strip poker because it has hard coded names of the various scenes as you know the people undressed. We can just change that to be a Coco, you know, Coco one picture, then the front covers off on the second one, and oh, the RF yeah. shields off on the third. You could have it stripped down to the bare motherboard. That How's that? Oh no! If Actually, you're going for to do David, that route, you got to do it with floppy drives. You got to take the cover say. off, and then uh, you got to take the, sh the the magnetic shield uh, or the RF shielding off the top of the drive. Asparagus, asparagus, asparagus. I'm taking it. And then wait, and then wait till you get to the head assembly. Asparagus, asparagus. <laughs> oh boy. What about Alan's icon? You take off the gloves, you take off the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to attempt to show some footage from the um, <laughs> Thursday night gameplay because Sloopy's not here right now. You mean slideshow? This might just be a slideshow. Yeah. Still. I can find where I have it. Everyone move like this and that's a 
there. Here's my attempt at showing some footage. So we actually had up to seven players at once last week. Or on, on Thursday. Yeah, we're, we're getting about a frame a second. Maybe two. Oh, uh, that's Excellent. totally photoshopped. For poker, that's yep. perfectly fine, actually. So. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, we had a good time in there playing, at least while I was there, because uh, my internet died halfway through, and I don't know how it ended. So. <laughs> Did we notice? I'm trying, no, I'm just kidding. We did. Really? You didn't notice I was gone? <laughs> yeah, we kept, we kept losing syllables till it was down to uh, one syllable a minute. And yeah, it was, it was really bad. You could tell you were going to drop off. Yeah, we were in a huge thunderstorm on Thursday night here and all around me. So I had horrible internet. Anyway, I think we... Uh, had fun playing these games and uh so that's the thursday night live um game playing on in the discord channel so anybody that wants to join us join us thursday nights to uh play the game of the week live or any other coco game you feel like playing because we won't make fun of you too much if you play something that's not the game on challenge game new toy yeah by the way, you see yeah. Scott Cooper's comment on the screen here from your live stream. Uh, Kicks just makes me mad playing it. The thing can be all the way across the screen to shoot over the, you and snag you. Just hey, I didn't say it was a perfect game. No, it's got a couple of little bugs, but I mean, it's it's actually it's pretty representative of the arcade game other than the, the little bugs. It's pretty decent otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get an interview with the author too uh, on the on our show because he also did Module Man and he did Devious as well. Oh, good. So you'll have to let me know if that we land that, then I can pick another one of his games for the game on challenge. Yeah, I'm not sure. Did we do Module Man? Really, I know the Coco Show did, but I can't remember if we did. I don't, I don't think, think so. Yeah, I don't remember Module Man on here. I'd have also to supports the speech sound pack in case somebody wants to. I'd have to actually see it to remember. There's been so many games. Yeah, it's getting hard to times, I don't know if they're just games that I've played in the past or games we've done on the live challenge. I know the four games I put up on my website yesterday, uh, I know one you will not be picking, Wet T-Shirt Contest. Aww. <laughs> and Curtis's internet goes down as everybody runs over to see. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be hosting it on my own machine here, should I? <laughs> all right so um as i said join us for the live game on thursday nights um 8 p.m eastern okay. i believe yeah sure seven o'clock my time where i am right now which is wherever i am <laughs> awesome seven o'clock you, earth time are, are you ever tuckered out from boat fest if you don't even know where you are I, well, I know where I am. I have no idea what time zone I'm in, though. I've <laughs> been in so many time zones in the last couple of weeks. It's summer vacation. It doesn't matter. Exactly. The sun is still up when the game starts. And yeah. it's usually yeah. just, just going down when it ends. So, Anyways, uh, so shall we see what we are playing next week, aside from the uh, Jacks for Better Poker again? Sure. See if anybody can get this one. Now, this is one that I chose. I really don't know how to play it, but seemed like it was kind of fun when oh. I. Uh, oh, this is where you have to get the jars of syrup. 
it's a T and D or a criminal set game, if I remember correctly. Yeah. No, nope, that's a something different mutant one. waffles, isn't it? Nope, that's a different. Oh no, game. wait, sorry, no, this is a different one. Yep. Both have little or hatch marks. This one's a big maze. You're collecting um, uh, stuff. Something the lair or something like that. That is the game, the lair. Thank you. So that is what uh, 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 this game. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. The second one I was thinking of. So you're wandering around collecting treasure, and I did discover when I was playtesting it that uh, you got a little timer every time you catch get a treasure that counts down really quickly. While that timer is counting down, you can just walk into the bad guys and kill them. If the timer is at zero, they kill you. So that's my hint, like hint of playing the game, because I don't think there's any instructions anywhere for this game. Well, the little guys on the screen look like robots. So, what do we? I think they are robots. Yeah. If you're on pain meds, it looks like it says the liar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, for Coco one, two, or three, sixteen k extended basic. I think is this a basic game? No, it's ML. From what I remember it's ML. Oh, right, it is. I was looking at a different basic game. That's what it was. So, yeah, I know there's a small write-up on it uh, on Curtis's website, and um, I don't think you really knew how to play it either, according to your write-up. Yeah, that was quite a while ago I did that one, so I don't know if I tried pursuing it too much or just got a couple screenshots up just to have it represented. Uh, There we go, and you also have the download for it. Oh, I do? Okay. Yeah, a bin file. Uh, if so I have to download on my site directly, that means I got permission from the author to do so. So I must have been in contact with yeah. them at some point. Okay, it's a color computer, one, two, or three, 32K cassette or disc joystick. The Lair is a maze-based arcade game navigating through a large maze. You must gather up certain shapes while dodging monsters. I don't know too much about the game beyond that point, such as what your ultimate mission is. That's your write-up, Curtis. Okay. That was clueless at the time is what you're telling me. Tom Stephenson and James Walton. I'm sure one of us figured it out. Yeah. Um, Probably Tasman Scott or have, Buck. Tasman will have beat the game by tomorrow. Or, or Buck. Buck. One, one of the two. Yeah. Actually, uh, who's, who's winning the, the high score sweepstakes these days between the two of them? Because it's, it's pretty competitive. Lately, it's been Tasman. Lately, it has been Tasman. We need to make some new theme thing. Well, then. Buck has been busy with um, deep diving into some of the games. So yeah, he's been like assembling deep... it, but like rebuilding it, and yeah, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So finding anything interesting in the code? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it uh, for the game on challenge. Then, so how about a commercial break? Commercial break, and we'll hit the news. Sounds good to me. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world 
where RGB produces black and white video. One cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Google3scartcable.com. G'day from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Curtis Boyle. I'm Ken Waters of Canadian Retro Things, and you're watching the Coco Nation Show. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. <laughs> so now, Rick Gillen, I want to get your helmet because then I could have protected myself from that hair fire there. It's going to model it for us briefly here before we get into the news. That's why I should have been soldering gold, darn it. <laughs> now can we add the helmet to the news intro and because one of the gals is trapped in polybius i'm also wearing my taylor and amy emotional support button <laughs> we can bring it back all right yep, i got my sticker i'm ready to go <laughs> i'm gonna make one of those with a butane soldering iron <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna melt me some copper pipe <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to do uh, some brief uh, game. There's not too much on the game side of news here. Um, I did want to ask Alan Murphy, I know you got some progress on Nostroma. Did you want to kind of show a screenshot or something like that after I get the other couple game things done? No, because it still looks exactly like the last one I showed. The only oh, okay. difference is how the guy moves. And it, he can go into the little bays and pick up the actual treasures that are there. But I haven't added the uh, the added it to the scoring and all that to the show. Oh, okay. 
the next chunk of code is actually moving the alien and the alien catching and eating you part. So that's the part I've been trying to get to that I'm excited for. Okay, because I know she'd put some screenshots. So I thought she had some stuff that was new on there. So. That's the same one. Okay. So. Never mind them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so game on news. Uh, the first one, um, obviously, we covered the MC10 version of video poker uh, a few weeks ago and it got released. And then the Coco 1 and 2 version came out just last week while Ken and I were gone. So you guys covered that. And uh, as of yesterday, the Coco 3 version is out. So you can get it on Paul's itch.io site, which we've got in the show notes. Uh, you can download off the Discord server. Here's some screenshots with the expanded color palette. Um, looks really nice. It looks awesome on an RGB monitor or any of the modern SCART type things, etc. Coco VGA, etc. Or, uh, I guess, give me XVJ output, for example, for those lucky enough to have one yet. <laughs> and we can go grab that. And uh, the last part here is Jim Gary actually did three different uh, game ports. They're all based on the same original concept. So there's a game in the arcades, a black and white one by Atari in 1977. That was called uh, Bomber, I believe it was. And uh, there was versions of it for everything out under the sun. It was popular in the VIC-20, the C64, etc. It was one you could actually implement basic on most of these platforms. Um, uh, he's got a couple versions of that here, uh, basically on based on the Canyon Bombers thing. So the first one here is called Monster Zap. Uh, this was originally by Fred Harris in 1984 from the book Me and My Micro Program Translations. And it had been poured to the Coco before uh, and the Dragon by Mike Moore. And uh, this is a port, port from there to the, to the MC-10. So I'll just play a little clip so you can kind of see what that looks like. So obviously it's in basic and this is the non-compiled one. A little bit of inverse video on the uh, intro screen. And it's all text-based except for the orange bar on the bottom. So you're the little asterisk flying around and you're dropping the bombs and taking out columns of things. Now, I, I went back to take a look at the original Atari one because I kind of very faintly remember the arcade one. And the one thing different between the arcade one and most of the basic ports I've seen is that all the basic ports do seem to do the same as what you're seeing right now, which fires straight down when you drop the bomb. On the original arcade one, it actually traveled diagonally. Like it would kind of fall and it speed up as it fell further down. So there's more physics to it. And uh, it also would take out not all the way to the bottom. It would take out like a chunk, depending on the angle you hit, like maybe four or five layers deep. So the gameplay is a little bit different, but basically all the basic ones on all the other machines basically, you know, did the straight down firing like you're seeing here. So that's that's one version. The next one is called Blitz, and this is uh, by Pierre Monsat in 1984 as well. But this was originally done for the Alice. Um, so it's his version of the same game, but made for the Alice originally. This one actually uses some semi-graphics and actually draws what looks like a plane. But same thing, you know, you're scrolling across the top and you're shooting down. And taking out columns of things and trying to finish them all off. And the third and last one here, uh, called Canyon Bombers, is actually named after the original arcade game. And I think Jim did this one himself, as far as I know. This is not a port from something else. And uh, written for the MC-10 as well, as you can tell by the print at with a blue line of some graphics text in it. This one has multiple skill levels. And this one has a number of shots as well. So this one's a bit more... Or no, what's the I'm thinking of. But anyway, he's got uh, kind of a mix of text and graphics here. So he's got your little black plane, blue sky, yellow skyscrapers. But he's dropping asterisks to do the bombing. So he's kind of mixing the two modes together. So... If you're into the Canyon Bomber style uh, game, there's at least three of them for the MC-10 
that Jim has either ported or written himself. So, or the Alice, the original Alice 4K. So that's all I had for game on news, unless I missed something uh, other than I, I know Alan had done a, a a bit of an update on his uh, game that we mentioned earlier before there, but not enough to show anything yet. So hopefully we'll have an update from him on the actual screen a little bit later, so maybe this month. <laughs> you think it'll be that long? Who knows, man? I stopped predicting life. <laughs> okay, so now we're on to the main part of the news. Let me switch over. Okay, first up, this is <clears throat> Tier City Retro Programming, who's been working on his uh, Ultima Cut type game. He's been working on Tale Suburbia. This is one of his more experimental things. And using a combination of get puts and P copies, he actually gets kind of a, a smooth scroll in basic <clears throat> with no machine language subroutines. Now, it's not the fastest thing in the world, but it's faster than I was expecting to see it, honestly. So I will fast forward. You can actually take a look through his code later on if you if you want to, which you listen to the screen, but it's kind of an interesting. Uh, Effect here. here, and then I want it to reverse, and the guy is going to turn around and start walking the other way. But um, the background does not get erased, and we're going to start. So the peacopy routine is something he's been using in his other ones here, because you can draw basically off view, and then you can peacopy it back on, um, so that you can actually see the result after drawing the background and the the characters over top. <clears throat> now there's the option of using the even byte get puts, <coughs> which will actually be a fair bit faster, probably three to four times faster than this, but you have to do it on even byte boundaries, <coughs> which in this mode means every four pixels, not every single pixel. So it'd be a faster, jumpier scroll, but you you can get a you know fairly decent speed. So that's actually a pretty interesting technique to do that. When I did stuff like this for like my Olympic Tehathlon game, I actually wrote a little ML routine to do the scrolling itself. Uh, but that doesn't have a background to preserve because it's basically scrolling ground and your player is above that, so never touch each other, and I never have to worry about drawing. But this way, you actually can have a background going by. So that was a pretty interesting technique. I honestly wouldn't have thought it would have been this fast, to be honest. So it's, I was, I was a bit impressed by this. So hopefully, I'll will take that a little bit further. And if he tries the even bite one, I'd love to see this if whether it speeds up drastically or not, like I'm expecting it to. Next up, Ron Klein has an update for the Cocoa Pie project. There's a new. Work in progress for XWare. This is now version 14542 that you can download for the Cocoa Pie. Um, Karen has done some updates. Now, the last time I checked, which is right after I read this, um, I don't think it was actually up on Karen's site yet, this newest version. So that was a bit of a surprise to me, or maybe I just misread the version number or something. But this has the ability to change the picture air, seeing more or less border. And that's one problem I've noticed on some other the Cocoa emulators. If you, for example, pick up the 225 line, Cocoa 3 graphics mode that the, basically there's there's no border at all if you're in the 640 by 225. Uh, basically, you, you, it would shrunk it right away. Now, on a real Cocoa, you will see top, bottom, left, right. You will see the border color, which if you're, say, playing a Star Trek game and you know it flashes red for red alert or green for green. Um, I quite missed having the border color, so that, I'm glad he's added that in. And you can actually resize it. So if you want to just see more of the text and not so much the border, you can do that or you can have the border in there. Uh, new option, dash VO picture. I'm not sure what that does. He uh, respects the dash geometry dimensions and SDL-based UIs. You're going way over my head with stuff now. Uh, optional 60 hertz vertical scaling. Um, and no scaling for 60 hertz as well. Faster ROM intercept-based printing on the Coco and the MC10. The Gimme now respects the X offset and HV enable in Coco mode. 
And MPI slot config moved from global to per cart included in dash config.print. So I know Karen was in the chat earlier, if he can give a, a better explanation for some of that than I can, because <laughs> I haven't tried any of this stuff yet. Um, oh, I guess Jim Gary did say that was his game. So then he wrote there. So that verifies it. Thanks. So anyway, if you have a Cocoa Pie, you can go get that latest version. And I'm assuming it's probably up on, on Karen's site by now. I just haven't checked before the show here. Cocoa Town, who was our guest about a month ago now, I think almost, uh, has three new videos up this week. The first one, which we're showing here, is another display surprise. If you remember previously, there was a issue where if you're doing, you know, trying to do an ASCII string and you're trying to store it on the screen for the VDG, you have to remap some of the characters because they don't follow the ASCII standard. The VDG has some different ones. Um, so this particular one here, he's actually got some other stuff that the VDG chip does a little bit differently so i'll, I'll play the little intro here just because it's amusing with his, his puppet uh but i'll let you guys watch the 15 minute video explaining everything else there on your own hello and welcome if you recall from the last video i got a little agitated because when i was trying to store direct ascii bytes into the screen buffer i was getting a little bit surprised by the vdg and, and what it was doing uh, and so I had to take time out and just explain what was happening before I could actually show the video I really wanted to show. And I said, okay, you know, now that that's done, I will be able to show the video I wanted to show next time. Well, it's next time, and I got agitated again. Uh, I fell for it again. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to show you what was going on. Um, so I'm like trying to make this app where I'm going to have some labels on the screen and I'm going to have some text on the screen. And uh, I did what I thought would make sense. I, I but, uh, well, anyway, you can, you can feel the frustration building there. And uh, yeah, I've, I've hit that thing too. Like if you take a look at the drivers, both in basic and in, in OS 9, like there's a whole bunch of, you know, if it's this character you're trying to write, I have to translate to this type of the VDG. There's a whole whole bunch of that. So you can catch that. So if you're programming stuff for the Cocoa 1 and 2, the VDG, or even the Cocoa 3 for the VDG, and, and you're trying to do text and you want just like an FCC of, you know, a text string to print, be aware of this stuff because you'll you'll have to translate some of it. His second video here is uh, on generating random numbers um, using the basic ROM routine. So I won't play any of this one because it's a 30-minute video going into intricacies of the ROM and how to generate these. Because basically, basic Microsoft Basic here always uses floating point numbers. And if you want just like an integer or a byte-based random value, you have all these translations and stuff you got to do. And there's some speed-ups you can do because it's pretty slow using floating point for everything. So he goes through a bunch of that. So anyway, kind of teaches you how to call the random function using the floating point accumulators and stuff. And then his last one here covers several topics. So he covers doing structs in assembly code, uh, which is basically setting up many table entries, et cetera, with more than one entry per, um, and how to reference them using pointers, et cetera. Modifying live code in the debugger, where you're actually modifying registers in an emulator, like say MAME, with the debugger turned on, where you can actually you know pause the program at a certain spot, and then change the value, let's say, in the D registers. So you can see how your program is going to react if it hit a certain case rather than having to wait for code to actually, you know, get to that point manually. Um, say in a long loop or a random function like that, you want to see what is it going to do if it's a 42 and, you know, you have to wait for it to happen or you can just cheat and just force it. 
So that's actually, I've used that exact same technique myself, actually, for debugging stuff in, in uh, my assembly journey in, in MAME with a debugger. So I won't play that because that's a pretty, pretty heady topic. You want to actually kind of watch the video and get the full thing. Um, so anyway, really, some really good deep dives here in, into a couple of things, you know, VDG, random number calling, modifying live code and debugger, how to do structs and assembly. So he's been doing a really good series. So those of you that are starting to learn assembly language yourself or want to learn it, this is actually his, his series of stuff that he's been doing the last month <clears throat> is probably a pretty good starting point. I mean, it assumes that, you know, some bits of six and nine assembly already, but you're kind of learning the cocoa specific points of it. Then this is a pretty good series to check out. Next up, VCF. So there's a whole bunch of videos that have been posted over the last week. Um, this first one I'm showing here was actually the main streamer panel. And you'll recognize a few people there on the far left, for example. There's Taylor and Amy. And then they've got Mark. Uh, what was the French guy, Mark, that uh, one of you was mentioning on the pre-show? about the, Or actually during the show, talking about that one other machine that we were showing from VCF that did a deep dive. But he did an actual presentation on the Apollo computers and how they worked. And there's uh, Jerry Ellsworth, of course, and there's some others I just don't remember off the top of my head, the 8-bit guys on the far right. But uh, a big thank you to Taylor and Amy, because they really gave us a nice shout-out uh, for, you know, especially a panel that's basically about all retro computing combined. So I thought I'd play a little bit of that, because they're kind of going through and talking oh, about... You made Sorry? Curious Mark in the middle. Yeah, yeah, that's who I meant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he did the Apollo... Next, next to Jerry, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I'd play a little bit of the shutter here because it was really cool to hear that. I was kind of surprised. I mean, less mansplaining than we thought we might get. Um, we oh, I should mention the question that they're asking the panelists now, specifically the women panelists, is what kind of problems or reactions have you had being a woman in tech on a podcast? Because there's a lot of misogyny here. Um, I, know, I know we've all seen that you know, somewhat ourselves, too. Um, and one thing our show tries to be is all inclusive. Like, we don't care. We don't care your sexual orientation, what your sex is, how old you are. It, it just doesn't matter. Um, the only the only thing I think we really critique is, you know, if you're writing Neutroid for the third freaking time already, then, you know, <laughs> uh, then I have a bit of a bias. But <laughs> Jealousy, jealousy. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought I'd play theirs because they've kind of gone down the panel of, of you know what the reactions have been. When we first got into this, um, one of the first things we did, uh, shout out to Coco Nation, um, because before we had 200 people that cared that we were on the internet, um, they asked us, they found us somehow and asked us to be on the show back when it was Coco Talk. And we we talked long and hard about did we want to do it, because it, they do a little, you know, Zoomy panel or whatever, and it is white man, white man, white man, you know, and we didn't know how we'd be treated. And fortunately, they were absolutely the most kind. I mean, we've in general found the retro community to be the most kind and generous and welcoming. So we've been very lucky, but we had long conversations about do we even want to do this and how is this going to go for us? So you really have to think about things more than you might otherwise if you weren't a, a minority in the space. And they had pretty varied reactions. Some other people had mentioned that, you know, the community was generally pretty good. And some others had mentioned that, no, actually, they had a fair bit of a problem with it, um, which is sad. I mean, retro is a fairly small niche thing compared to general computing anyway. So why would I introduce all that crap to it? 
I, I don't understand, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we got singled out as, as being a very friendly community that doesn't, you know, have that very much at all. So we've got David Absolutely. Black. Well, yes. There Sorry, was go. that Nick? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> Anyway, it's a fascinating. They go through a whole bunch of topics in here. Um, they actually ask some questions about, you know, the, what their favorite stuff was. I will mention too, and I probably could jump ahead to show it, but um, Chronological Gaming was in the audience. And when they, at the end of the, the panel uh, presentation there, they actually have a question and answer session so people could walk up to the mic. And he actually was the last question, I think, or the second last, one of the two. <clears throat> and he mentioned what his channel is doing. And when he said, you know, he's trying to cover every single game ever made chronological order, they all kind of went, whoa. Because that's that's a hell of a thing to take on, but his question was, "What was your favorite, um, or the sorry, not favorite, the first video game of any sort, home, computer, console, arcade?" And then all the panelists would answer what what their first game was. So I won't spoil that, but I would definitely check out the end of the video for that too, because it's another guy we've had on our show that I've you know developed a bit of a relationship with. I've actually guessed on his show now. He's taking a bit of a break for summer too, by the way. He's got a newborn, so he needs to spend some time with family. And he lives in Texas, so it's stinking hot. So I wouldn't want him to be sitting there cooped up trying to do a podcast every day for five days a week. Um, so we're taking a bit of a summer break. But anyway, yeah, he asked, asked that question on the panel and uh, got answers from all of them. And there's a couple of pretty interesting people on there, like I mentioned before. So um, definitely, this, this was a well worth one. It's a two-hour long one. It's one of the longest videos from VCF Midwest. Uh, from such a large panel, but very interesting. They, they covered a lot of really good, serious topics, had a good bit of joking around. And, you know, out, out of the panel you see there, we've already had several of them on our show. The 8-Bit Guy's been on our show. Taylor and been on our show. Chronology Game in the audience has been on our show. So uh, we're kind of reaching out to people, I think, a bit here. And uh, the more they mention us at these big things, and hopefully we'll get some more people watching our show too. Until they figure out how long I paddle on, then they'll never want to watch it again. But <laughs> yeah, you you say that like it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy sounds a bit hoarse. I wonder if I wonder if she uh, she got laryngitis. Was... They both were sick actually during this yeah. trip, um, and she had mm. a bit of laryngitis at Cocoa Fest too, didn't she? If I remember, um, I don't I don't remember. I remember at VCF Midwest, or maybe that's year. what I'm thinking of. Last year, she was starting to sound kind of hoarse, but they had been doing a lot of singing with different uh, different internet streamers. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. which makes plan. That's why I don't sing. I mean, I don't sound good near, irregardless. But uh, the next <laughs> one up here, um, this is Boise Pete. So he did the colorful history of the cocoa. Um, as I mentioned, the pre-show, it, it's if you listen to the very beginning, it sounds like he the notes that he was supposed to be reading from disappeared, and he couldn't actually uh, read off them. So he was kind of winging stuff by memory going through a slideshow and he had a couple minor mistakes in there, which I'm sure is just because the notes and you're kind of under pressure. I, I would do the same mistakes, I'm sure, but basically it's, you know, 99.9% .9 accurate and uh, a lot of cool stuff. Some of the stuff that's covered in the book, some stuff that's been discovered a little bit since then covers the history of the cocoa from the project green thumb stuff we were talking about earlier, right up through, you know, the decision by Tandy to shut down uh, the cocoa, um, and getting into you know stuff that microware in OS9, he goes a bit of history of that as well because they of course became involved not just for OS9 but also for doing the ROMs for the Cocoa Three. So definitely go watch this one. It was very very well done presentation, and uh, yeah, just just go watch it. It's <laughs> basically I gotta say the ultimate Tandy panel. So this is the one that uh, Jerry Prickett was supposed to be at, who was the father of, of some of the Cocoa stuff at Tandy. 
And unfortunately, he had emergency surgery, wasn't able to make it, which they talk about at the beginning. But you still get a bunch of people in here that are really interesting. Um, I will play just a little bit of the beginning so you can get a kind of a, a bit of a feel for the presentation. But it goes through some old cocoa history as well, plus general Tandy stuff, like selling out to AST, their entire manufacturing division, et cetera. Um, so they did the ANA, I think was the name of the company that dealt with a lot of the Japanese uh, chip manufacturers and how they incorporated that. That was an advantage to Tandy in the 80s because they could take the best of U.S. technology and the best of Japanese technology, and they already had you know, the, the every, all the infrastructure in place to be able to do this fairly easily, whereas a lot of the other companies at the time did not. So let's play a little bit of the intro here. There's that little thing Ron was talking Thank about. Thank you for coming to the uh, Ultimate Tandy panel. Uh, some of you may wonder what happened to John Prickett, who was the uh, Color Computer 2 and 3 architect. He had to have emergency surgery, and so he wasn't able to attend. He's fine, but his, he was not cleared by his doctor to travel. The only thing he said was, there's no secret registers, stop asking. <laughs> that hasn't been proven true. yet. Well, you notice what he said at the end there. He said, that's mostly true. Denial. Denial. <laughs> anyway, it's, um, definitely an interesting panel. It's one of the longer ones, too. It's almost an hour and a half. Um, they also took a couple questions at the end, too, if I remember correctly. Um, but a lot of interesting stuff. There's some things there I'd never heard of before, which is really cool. Like talking about the network controllers, like network controller two and three. Um, Ken and I saw the network controller two, I think it was, at the Vintage Geek Museum, though it wasn't working properly at the time. But that's one where you can basically take one Cocoa with a disk drive, hook it up, and then 15 other Cocos with cassettes hook up by serial cables. You can deload stuff you know, off the one central machine and basically load everything from there without needing disk drives, cassette drives on every single one of these other you know, 15 Cocos, up to 15 Cocos. So... The guy in the middle there that you're seeing is actually one of the guys that worked on it and actually helped create those. And he talked about they talked about you know creating hard drives, the Project Green Thumb stuff, a bit of the history of that. Um, you know the Tandy 2000 and how much advanced it was compared to other Tandy or uh, PC MS DOS style machines, but not compatible enough, and that was kind of its downfall. So you're getting a lot of really cool information here, and, and some of it's not very common knowledge. So I would definitely check this one out. And the other one that was kind of Coca related from there was the uh, Turbo 9, which, of course, is the project that Boise has been kind of a mentor on, uh, which is basically taking the 6809 instruction set and then making a, a newer version of it, basically with a bunch of added instructions for, you know, hardware division and, and larger multiplication, et cetera, but keeping the method that the 6809 used for doing all the address modes and pre-bytes and stuff. So you can make a very compact um instruction set so it doesn't take a lot of room because as they point out there this is designed for people that you know don't want to make something with a bazillion gates and a custom huge fpga when you don't really need it for certain projects you you, you can do something much simpler but still very powerful now this is something that theoretically could be put into an actual coco because it does emulate the 6809 instruction set just adds a lot to it kind of like 6309 does and it's capable of running at much faster speeds it has prefetch caching and all kinds of stuff on it um, not all software would run properly this with this though, because obviously stuff that has like timing loops and stuff would be completely broke. Um, but you know, if you wrote code or you know, say did you know OS9 drivers, something like that, specifically with this chip in mind, you can get some pretty speed big speed increases even without the clocking it beyond the two megahertz range, which I think this chip is a cable like 20 or 30 megahertz with all the pipeline stuff added on for even more speed increases. 
And they have some comparisons with other FPGA-based solutions as well as, you know, the original 6 and 9 for benchmarking and stuff. And Boise has been uh, one of their main guides on the benchmarking stuff and making, you know, testing suites to make sure all the instructions are actually functioning correctly. So that's a really good one. Um, there's not too much update on this one compared to the last presentation they put out. Uh, some, they're getting close to the end of it now. They're kind of like 99% done, all the testing, et cetera. Next up here, uh, this is a bit of sad news. Um, and there was sad news in the the, the general tier city. There was somebody else that had passed away recently, too, that was mentioned in the uh, Tandy Discord. And unfortunately, I didn't copy the one over. I was going to, and I forgot. So my apologies. Uh, but basically, this is uh, Robert Doggett, who, if you're familiar with OS 9, if you remember the old Control-A trick on OS 9 Level 1, which would give you three of the programmers that uh, worked on OS 9, um, it would basically have a keyboard buffer thing where normally Control-A would repeat your last command. If you hadn't done a command yet, it would actually put out a little blurb that mentioned K. Kaplan, Rob, R. Doggett, and I can't remember the other guy's name. I think it was Kaplan. Uh, but basically, some of the guys have programmed it. So Robert Duggan announced on the MicroOS 9 group on Facebook, and I'll just read it verbatim here. I'm very sad and sorry to report that Larry Crane has passed away. For any who may not already know, it is his clever brilliance which created OS 9 in the first place. Larry will be deeply missed by me and I'm sure by many others. His longtime partner shared the unfortunate news today on Facebook. So sad news to hear. Um, I, I've never met the guy, which is too bad, but... Uh, it's uh, just sad that one of the creators of OS 9 passed away. Yeah, and at the same time, Don Lancaster from uh, a lot of 1970s electronics and radio and Apple stuff also passed away recently. Things like the RTL and TTL cookbooks. Okay. Um, television typewriter. Yeah. Television typewriter. TV typewriter and the, the cookbook for that. So he's uh, now a silent key as well. Forest yeah, I, I guess we're getting to that age now, like the pioneers of the microcomputer industry in the in the 70s. You know, they would have been 20 to 40 years old at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's you know coming up in 50 40 years, years ago. ago. Yep. Yeah, 40, 45. Well, 45 for the, you know, the Trinity ones. And, you know, the development of that would have started earlier. So, yeah, we're getting to that point. We're going to start losing them rapid fire. Forrest Mims III was, uh, had a comment on Facebook about Don Lancaster saying that his uh, columns, like the television typewriter and stuff, really encouraged him and, and uh, Ed Roberts of MITS uh, to uh, you know, kind of do what they did. So it was kind of their uh, inspiration, so to speak. Exactly. So, and- All of us. I started making transistor oscillators because I wanted to make the stuff that Don Lancaster was making, and it was yep. the best I could do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter Peter Satinsky, you know, one of the main guys from Tandy Assembly, um, his his post inside the Tandy Discord was we've lost online caster, as you mentioned. He was a key inspiration to Steve Leninger's design of the Tiras 80. So I mean, none of this Tiras 80 stuff would have started without him. I mean, the Coco, the model one, two, three, four, four P, everything like that. That was that was the inspiration for it. So So OS9 and and electronics and Coco stuff. Very sad to hear. Okay, another one. Uh, Boise showed some scans of the Cocoa column. Now, for those of you that read the Computer Shopper back in the 80s, there was actually a column for the Cocoa, um, which lasted right through into the Cocoa 3 era. Um, that was Michael. I'll see if I can zoom this up here. I won't read the whole thing because it's several pages, but he covers just, you know, third-party, Tandy stuff, et cetera. This is not too long after Cocoa 3 came out, this particular one. 
by Mike Wafkowski. And if you remember uh, the pictures that Brendan had of his booth, there was actually this issue of Computer Shopper was actually laying on the table beside one of the, I think, the TDP. So you actually could have looked through this at his booth. And he's going through here stuff like he just got his copy of Coronas Rift type thing. I'll kind of give you the idea of the time frame we're looking at here. Uh, Cave Walker, et cetera. I think it was into some hardware like ADOS 3, et cetera. Um, now, one thing sadly here is that uh, Mike, Wefkowski himself, the columnist that wrote this, he passed away in April. I didn't, I missed that completely when it actually happened, but uh, there's another one, <laughs> you know, type of thing. So, but yeah, the Coco column was one actually, I didn't get Computer Shopper regularly because I mean, I wasn't buying that much stuff that I didn't require a subscription. And most of this magazine, which was honking big, is like five, 600 pages per issue, is mostly ads. But it was ads for everything. It was ads for PCs, Macs, and then the more, you know, obscure machines like the Coco and you know, some of the Atari 8 and 16 bits, that's how they, like the ST and the Amiga, like it covered everything. It was, it was one magazine that, you know, was kind of a place to, a marketplace to find stuff, basically. And, and here um, in the States, it was like four bucks off the rack. It was cheaper than any single magazine. Yeah. Well, mainly because it was, you know, it was magazines pounds. get paid by advertising. This is nothing but ads almost. <laughs> yeah, so, it was 22 pounds of ads, but there was some good stuff in there. Yeah. They had some good columns and, and did editorials and stuff there too. So it was interesting to read. And I did buy it every once in a while. Like I'm looking for a hard drive, an MFM hard drive now. You know, I'm going to upgrade my 65 make. I'd buy a computer shopper because you could find dirt cheap prices if you wanted through it. So thanks to Boise for pointing that one out. Next up, Richard Kelly has uh, released Maze Creator version 0.10n. Now, I can't remember, Mark Overholzer, did you cover his previous update to this last week? Because he's done a couple in the last few weeks. Sorry, I I don't recover, I don't recall covering the earlier stuff on this, so... Okay, because basically he created this maze creator for generating a maze. And then the last update, I think, was last week while I was gone. He did a, a large improvement in the speed, like multiple times faster. And this is now a, a newer beta that's even a little bit faster yet again. Yeah, I uh, think a bit I larger size. Proof one. Not yeah. this one, though. No. Okay. So uh, now he's asking people to give it a shot, you know, and give him some bug reports. We've been trying to speed it up and speed up. And you can incorporate this in your own programs. It's in basics. We want to generate a random maze fairly quickly. You can use this. A free download on Facebook. I'm assuming at some point when he gets it completed, he'll be putting up in the Color Computer Archive as well. Next up, there was a challenge from a guy named Emerson Costa in the 6847 group, which, of course, is the VDG chip and the MC10 and the Coco, asking about uh, using riding the beam type techniques like the Atari 2600 had where you're you know, programming stuff on the fly for a single scan line at a time uh, to produce some meaningful, you know, cool effects vi visually with using the SG6 mode. So Simon Jonasson, of course, tackled that right away. And he's got a little demo here, which I will try to play and see if I can zoom it up a little bit. But you'll see SG6 gives you a two by three matrix for your colors, but only gives you, I think, four colors. But he actually does some switching here so we can actually make it look like it's doing a lot more. So you can see he's doing smooth scrolling with text and graphics up in the corner here. And then, you know, put some background there. So that looks really cool. <clears throat> and he mentions here 
uh, normally SG6 will only show the last 128 blocks. The first 128 are like vertical lines because ext, ext is enabled. Um, and basically what that means is that there was a pin on the VDG that would let you use an external ROM. That's how the lowercase kits worked. You could you know buy one of these little ROMs and you could have like true lowercase or an alternate character set. Kind of like the, what the Coco VGA does now. But the original VDG was capable of doing that too with this external line. Now on the MC10, that ext is enabled. So basically it's just drawing vertical stripes of various patterns because it basically takes the, you know, whatever garbage is floating around on there and, and just repeats it, which is why you see the little green bars on there. Um, so he's actually bashing the screen address on a scanline basis to write characters for the first 128. So you can kind of do mixing and matching. Uh, horizontal, as he mentions here, is maxed out. You only have 57 cycles per scan line, which is something Nick is definitely familiar with, not on the graphics side, but trying to do sound routines, because that's the same technique he's using uh, to do background sound for Coco 1 and 2 in Dragon Games. Now, he actually uh, got some, uh, I think it was Ron. Did you, were you the one who tested it on real hardware? Yes, I was. So this is um, on real MC10. Or is this on, no, you use this one, the real Coco, but no, using the same. Coco, yeah, black yeah. one. And your, your Darth Vader one, it looks like. Yep. It works. Wasn't a real good connection for some reason. Channel three. Yeah. But yeah, smooth scrolling text with graphics, you know, all going up in a corner while you you're keeping static graphics elsewhere. And I know somebody had commented on there saying, well, if you're using that many cycle times, then you probably are eating so much CPU time you can't do a game around it. Like it's basically for a demo. And that's, as as uh, Simon points out, that's not true. You only need that precise timing for that little window that has a scrolling. If you have other stuff on the screen that doesn't require that, that can be just done normally with no extra special anything. Uh, so basically, you're just timing like a, you know, a tiny portion of the screen. You have to do this really precise timing. The rest of it, you can just let her go as the rest of the scan goes. That's funny. Reminds me of old Sinclair games where you didn't have enough RAM, so you drew in the top left corner. But now you don't have enough time, so you draw on the top of the well, I remember some 4K Coco games would actually enable like P-Mode 3, which is more RAM than you actually have, so it wraps and repeats. Oh, but they would actually design a little game of Defender, something in the middle that you could play with all this garbage and watch variables change and graphically. But you got that higher res, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Alan Huffman on Subitha Software and his thing in here, and he's actually doing a follow-up for uh, a Jim Gary thing that we'll be covering shortly, too. We'll get to the MC10 section. And basically, we've we've covered this before, where there's the thing of generating a fake-looking maze at random that you scroll up the screen. Looks like it's an infinitely you know changing maze. And Jim did an even smaller one, so he got it to fit on the MC10. This entire random mazey thing in 32 bytes. It fits on one line on the screen of a 32k or 32 column VDG screen. And he kind of goes through explaining how Jim did it here, and uh, I'll, I'll save the video for when I get to Jim's portion, but. Uh, then Alan starts figuring out, like, like, Jim got to do a few things the MC-10 has a shortcut for. Like, you can print these characters, these graphical characters, semi-graphics characters directly by using, you know, the special function key on the uh, MC-10 to draw the graphics. Whereas on the Coco, you have to do character string commands and basic to do the same thing. So he couldn't quite shrink it enough to match, you know, Jim's really small MC-10 version. But... uh he did do some other ways using, you know, slashes and graphics and stuff here. He kind of optimized as much as he could and then try to, you know, make it, you know, semi-fast as well. But he had to split in two lines to do that. So, uh, but we'll get to that when I get to, to Jim's stuff. 
Next up, this is a brand new channel. Um, the first video we did was kind of a 10 minute introduction to the channel, what he's planning on doing. Um, and the channel is called Pixel and Ram. And if you're wondering who that is, uh, I guess you could guy call it, kind of call the guy Ram and his cat that makes an appearance on his intro video is Pixel. Uh, so I don't know what it is with Coca people and cats, but uh, there's a lot of it, <laughs> including myself and Mark, both Marks, et cetera. Um, so basically what he's doing here, this is a video we actually shot a year ago when he bought a Coco 2 off eBay. And as you can see, it's been, uh, it's been yellowed a bit. Um, but he's planning on doing all kinds of retro stuff. He's planning on not just doing computers too. He's planning on doing, you know, stuff that's even older than that, like electronically related type things. And, um, he's even going to do some stuff that are kind of pet projects of his own, like cash registers. Um, he's also going to be covering stuff like technology used by religion. So he's going to have a pretty wide variety of technical topics on here. So this first video he did, which is based on footage he did a year ago, and he's going to now since got a better camera and he's kind of get more familiar things this is on a Coco. So he's got a Coco two with a melted keyboard. So I'll just play a little bit of the intro and kind of get a feel for it. But, uh, he literally only has one subscriber because he literally just started this week. Very first video posted. Um, and he picked the Coco for the first one, which I thought was awesome. So I, I gave him a couple of reply comments thing, but you guys, if you want to go comment and, and, you know, give him some tips and tricks too, and maybe answer any questions he has, you, I would definitely recommend it. want to encourage people that can, you know, promote the cocoa. So. All right. So here I am working on a Radio Shack color computer two that I picked up off of eBay about a year ago. Oh, that thing's got every and shade of yellow. It's a really good deal. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the more bizarre ones I've seen, yeah. In, in the really back's nice and white and everything else is like, it's obviously some uh, stuff was sitting on it. As you can tell, it. it is quite yellowed. Um, and I'm gonna oh, try and use a little bit of Windex just Windex. see if there's anything okay. I can get off. This case is clearly gonna need Fixes everything, writing. apparently. And, uh, when I took it out of the box, so anyway, yeah, he kind of goes through and he he's, takes some guesses on some of the the hardware stuff that he got because he also got a disc controller which he thought was a printer controller, and so I give him some corrections on it because like he's, he's they said he never knew anybody that grew up with uh, Coco, so he is this is totally new to him. Um, he was more of the, I think on the Commodore side of things or the Apple side, I can't remember. But I mean, that's a story we've heard quite a bit. I mean, the Coco did sell several million, um, but it wasn't you know Commodore sixty four numbers or anything. So. Um, I'm definitely glad he's doing that. I'm, I'm hoping he'll do some follow-up videos with some of the, the new stuff he's learned. I've also, well, I'm planning on mentioning stuff like the Coco SDC and stuff to him if he wants to get into the software side. He does have a real tandy floppy controller, so I mean, he could hook up a, a PC drive, like a double-density drive, and run, run real floppies if that's his inclination. I'm not sure if he's going to be pushing more on the hardware side of on the computer stuff, if he's going to be pushing a bit on the software side. Because if he's going to do the software side, I would just say get a Coco SDC and don't worry about the real floppy drives at all. But uh, We'll find out. But anyway, yeah, if you have, uh, if you want to give a, a brand new YouTuber uh, some encouragement for doing more Coco stuff, please, please go visit him. Once again, in the show notes, you can get on our Discord. You can get the direct link to his video and then comment from there. Rocky Hill, Pedro actually put up a video here that's about three quarters of an hour long. And it's just taking a T1 later Coco 2, upgrading it to extended basic and upgrading. The RAM from 16K to 64K. Now, this is the one that had the three different options for RAM. You had the satellite board, you had the eight, you know, one bit chips and the four or two four bit chip sockets. Um, it also has the T1 true lowercase VDG with inverse video and stuff built in. Um, 
the ROM actually, I think, was the most difficult thing here. And I, I didn't have one of these. I had friends with these, but they bought them with 64K. So I didn't really know what was involved, but the or, or extended basic, I should say. But the extended basic on this one was basically there's one ROM slot. And it's either you put a 24 pin or a 28. Is that correct? For you hardware guys that know this stuff? Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah, something like that. And it's got all these little um, pre-built in soldered in jumpers not actual jumper jumpers that you can yeah just, like, there's move. like five of them so that was a bit, a bit of fun watching him get that done um and then burning the eprom which he surprisingly as he put himself you know surprising it worked first try <laughs> that definitely wouldn't happen if i was doing it uh, <laughs> that was good <laughs> yeah well, who was that <laughs> sounded relaxing <laughs> but that's not a big deal so you can see here the ROM socket because he's taking the ROM out and it's got this little drawing and then with what direction to put the chip. And you'll notice the little notch is the opposite of every single other chip on the board. So he said to be careful about that. But you got this solder pad here. You're going to move between 64K and 128K and that's K bit. So basically that's a 8K or 16K ROM of kilobyte. And then all of these you got to move. And they like what was the reason for going with these where you had to like desolder and and re-solder it just to move a jumper like why not just leave the jumper there or is it just a cost thing well, well, cost no thing. Jumper. yeah let's save yeah. the other two cents a machine right, if you're yeah. pretty sure what you're going to do then you do this exactly. yeah that just it seems insane well, to me the thing is there's going to be the pins and then there's going to be the jumper that actually goes on so you know if you're not planning on changing it very often you know why why spend the extra money well, it would make sense if it was already a 64 basic machine. Yeah. But on ones that need to be upgraded, yeah, there should have been a jumper because at some point in time, it was. Because now you get to pay for the labor, somebody to resolder well, these five stupid that's things. What that's what Tandy wants. <laughs> oh, I guess, yeah, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, they get the charge for it. What the hell am I thinking? Yeah, they make money either way. Never mind. I'm an idiot. I don't understand basic business again. Yeah, yeah we, on it. we had the desolder stations in the uh, repair centers. Yep. So okay. there wasn't any problem for us to move those. And you think about it for the actual Radio Shack store, that means your technician gets to charge for you know actual work. So that's another uh, benefit for the store. It's like, ooh, extra money. Yeah. Anyway, pretty pretty cool video going through all what's done there, including burning the EPROMs of some cells, etc. So um yeah, I mean, obviously, he's he's been on our show before. He's a regular in our chat. If he's not out at sea somewhere, so uh, definitely worthwhile checking out. This one is an interesting one. I don't know if Eight Bits in the Basement uh, is still here in the chat. He was earlier, but he's actually a guest on the show. So this is a uh, Captain Commodore is the name of the YouTube channel, and this is live stream number three featuring YouTube retro repairs. So there's people that repair some of the. Uh, you know, European machines, Commodores, and of course, 8-Bits does quite a few different things, including the Coco, but he actually mentions the Coco specifically. And uh, then some people on the stream of the other people here, and I'll, I'll just mute it so you can kind of see who's on. Um, but he, uh, some of the people noticed that he's got Nightmare Highway running in the background on his, his Coco, so they ask about that, and he kind of get, explains the story of, you know, how that was based on real events of hitting a couch and stuff, so... Um, congrats to Peter being on this. It looked like a pretty fun show. They were having a good time here. 
And it's a mixture of people from, you know, Europe and North America. Because Yark, who we covered some of his videos recently too, uh, to, uh, Todd, he's, he's actually from the States. So, and some of the others here are from like, you know, Spain and UK and France. And so it's a, it's an international panel and covering, you know, international computers from all over the place. So it was actually yeah. a fun show. I actually watched the whole thing through. It was entertaining. I would highly recommend, especially you hardware guys to actually understand what the hell these people are talking about. Cause that wasn't me. Are you sure that Captain Commodore is not Stevie Strowbridge with glasses? Kind of looks like him. <laughs> I did think that actually. <laughs> when you hear the accent, though, it's obviously a totally different voice. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, a bit more than a casual resemblance there. And then Peter so, kind of looks like uh, uh, so Hugh Jackman per- playing Wolverine. So, <laughs> it's his other persona. <laughs> and the one in the middle looks like uh, Steve Wozniak. Eh, a little bit, not quite as much, but yeah, not yeah. a little bit, a, a little, little bit, yeah. Yak, whatever his name. Yeah, yet another retro channel. If I remember, that's what it stands yeah. for. But he's done some Coco stuff recently too, and he's actually owns multiple Cocos. He was actually mentioning that on the show. Like he said, yeah, I've got like twelve over here or something like that of various types. So yeah, actually, it was a really interesting discussion on a whole bunch of topics there. So uh, if if you're into all retro computers or just the Coco, there's there's enough here for make it worth your while to watch, even if you are just the Cocos. But if you're into general retro, like Ken and a bunch of the other people here on the panel are Mark, etc. There's there's a ton of stuff in here that's kind of interesting. So definitely go check it out. Coco Crew released their latest episode, um, ninety seven. I will mention the notes here. If you can see in the lower left corner, it's pointing to 96. So the show notes are pointing to the previous episode. Now, if you click that, you'll get last month's episode. So all you have to do is just go up into the Eurobar and change that 96 to 97. You'll get the proper show notes. I have not had a chance to listen to it because I saw that it dropped just this morning before I came on the show. So I can't really speak to what's on it yet. Um, I think there was, i trying to remember, there was a interview with Jim O'Keefe, um, whom we've met at Coco Fest in Chicago quite a few times, and he did... He was involved with the making of Plateau of the Past, the game. So if you've seen that at Coco Fest, then you'll know who Jim O'Keefe is. But they have an interview with him. That was one thing I did notice in the show notes. And uh, I'll, I'll probably cover it in a bit more detail next week after actually I've had a chance to listen to it. But just just drop this like late last night or this morning. Okay, some more Jim Geary stuff. So this is uh, Banner. This is ported from a 1978 original by Leonard Rosendust. From David Al's book, Basic Computer Games. And if, you know, if anybody does not recognize the name, that's the guy who was in charge of creative computing. And uh, basically, this is for um, making banners that you put normally to a printer. You can do it to screen as well. But basically, it's to print you know, big honking long banners with huge letters made out of graphic characters or text characters type thing. I think this one does text characters. And um, I remember, you know, a lot of us did this type of thing. You, the banners for some of the fests was actually made with these things on line printer paper. It'd be like 40 sheets wide you'd put over top of your table. Were- and here you can see he's actually typed in a, you know, A, B, C, D is his message. And, you know, if you look sideways at the monitor, you can see it just made a big A out of A's. Now it's making a big B out of B's. And uh, away you go making your banner. And he's actually had the source code here, so you don't have to type the darn thing in. You can actually just go download it off of his GitHub. So, Once again, links in the show notes you can pick up on the Discord. Huh. Next one up here. 
this is the one I was referring to earlier that Alan Huffman was commenting on and, and making a Cocoa version. So this is the one that does that kind of random maze generation that's famous on the Commodore 64 for being one one-liner contest winner. And he got it to fit into 32 characters. So it literally fits one line on the screen. That's the entire program. So I will play a little bit of it here. You can see him actually type it in by hand. Now, he gets to cheat here. We can't do that in the Cocoa where you just directly embed characters like that, graph characters like that. And uh, basically, it's just two characters where it just randomly switches between them and makes it look like a real randomly generated maze. You can do that. There is a way to do it, it's, but it involves like poking. You have to use a variable pointer to. Yeah, out yeah, where. yeah. But you can't just directly type it in like he's doing. Yeah, that's a nice feature of the MC10. Yeah. And the characters are even on the and keys, too. And to get it to fit in the 32 characters just, he's actually using the trick where if you do go to without a line number, defaults to zero. So as long as your line number is zero, yeah. it'll go back there. That's uh-huh. a nice little trick. Uh-huh. There he's uh, typing in the description for the audio listeners here. It says, this is a new one-liner 10 print program. Not sure why I put 10, but... Uh, for the now he's drawing pictures. No, he's not supposed to be drawing pictures. <laughs> <laughs> for the Tears City MC 10. So just using those two characters and a single line of 32 characters to type in, it looks like it's drawing a random maze, kind of similar to what the, the C64 original did, or the larger version on the Coco does. So he's got that one tie-in character that will make all of the other random characters appear sane. It is only two characters. Well, but it's... It's a vertical line or it's a horizontal line on the bottom. Vertical line on the right or horizontal line on the bottom. And just oh, that and you mix... you pick one or the other. Okay. At, at random, and it just makes it look like a maze just by fluke. It's not a solvable maze, like some there's dead ends and places you can't get into type thing, but... Sure looks cool. An optical illusion. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look and follow some of these, you can go quite far, Like, but that's random. Sometimes it cuts off right away. So, But it's a, it's a neat effect to do in such a small bit of code. That's what impressed yeah. me the most. And it's only going mm-hmm. one direction. Like That doesn't even always way. work. Yeah. It's Anyways, that's pretty cool. Like I said, Alan got it to work in the Cocoa, but you can't do it in 32 because we can't do that cheat. Unless you like literally go poke, you know, right into the line statement itself, but that is cheating. <laughs> and then the last one he did here is he actually made an eight-bit version of the UK flag, as he calls it, the old Union Jack, and embedded color statements there too, as we mentioned before. You'd have to make this out of character strings, but it looks looks pretty decent. Next up, this was really cool. So David Lindsley, and this we we saw this happening at the time when we were monitoring the Dragon Meetup. Remember, we had some live feeds from that back in October, and they actually mentioned us covering it on Cocoa Talk, yep. where we watched people scanning, but they weren't talking about what it was yet. Well, it's been revealed now that was the original source code from Microsoft for Extended Color Basic for the Dragon, which is like ninety five percent compatible with what's on the Cocoa. This is not the Unraveled series where you had people disassembling it and putting their own comments. This is the original comments from the programmers at Microsoft. And uh, at the time, he didn't want to talk about it because he was trying to get permission from Microsoft to release this. Now, some of you may have seen that the GW Basic source code has been released with Microsoft's blessing. They have gotten permission from this. This is legal. You can actually go to his GitHub, which I'll show over here, 
and he's got docs for it. He's got a description of the whole project here. It's a 340 pages of fanfold tractor feed across four bundles. They hand scanned all this in it, and then they went and uh, cleaned it all up and you know fixed the mistakes. Now they're going to working on making sure it compiles or assembles properly to create the actual code. But you can actually go into the source here and just you know pull whatever chunk of it you want, like the the various little bits here. It's ECB that's extended color basic, and then you got certain things for certain different DNL parts. Is load. That's the downloader. And it's got uh, Mark Chamberlain's signature at the top. Well, initials. Yeah. This, this one here, you mean, or which one? Yeah. Yeah, and this was something like people were trying to figure out how deload worked. And here's the actual original comments from them you know. on what the different you know codes are for board control code, acknowledge control code, block request, file request, bad transmission, et cetera. With complete explanation, like here's the yeah. syntax you're supposed to use and... And like so, I said, this is not interpreted by somebody trying to disassemble the ROMs like we did in Nitrous 9 and Spectral did with the Unraveled series. This is right from the horse's mouth. And if you compare it with Basic 65, which that code has been um, out on the, the web a couple of years now, um, yes, it matches up. This is as legit as it gets at this point. And it is amazing to see all this. And thank you very much, Dragon Guys. For not only saving it, but restoring it. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. This is what I've been doing most of this week instead of coding on my game. <laughs> this. Looking at this. And, and oh my goodness. Because I've been line by line through Basic 65 and the the Commodore kernel and, and building a, a replacement for the kernel 3 and Basic in that from original source from both companies. And so I've spent a fair bit of time wallowing in basic 65 and it's always been a lament that, man, I wish I could see the basic 68 or basic 69. And I've talked to Microsoft, uh, other people in the cocoa world have talked to Microsoft and the consensus has always been, we checked even at the bottom of the desk drawers and in the basement and we've lost that code. It just doesn't exist anymore. And then to have it walk up on fanfold paper, as I mean, you can see file by file what part is the exact same byte by byte in the cocoa and which parts they were working on for the uh, Metoy 32 and the Metoy 64. So yeah. <laughs> it was even a dragon at that point, uh, at least on the Microsoft side. They were talking to a company called Metoy. So this is just amazing. And even if you're not an assembly language coder, the point is all in the comments because we've yeah. had assembly language basically right. since the cocoa dropped. But what we didn't have was the comments. We've just had little hints like the DLO docs that mention Mark Chamberlain and stuff. And now here it all is just like a grand and glorious roadmap. There is yeah. too much. You to might do. even find bugs in the code based on the comments. <laughs> yeah. But the, or the little hidden tricks getting, and stuff that didn't make sense to, you know, the disassemblers who did the spectral the Bill stuff. Gates, the Bill Gates said it's there. 6309 the, the idea of getting four bundles of fanfold paper that are completely legible after all these years is just astounding to me. And that repo they put together is, I mean, just from a preservation standpoint, is fantastic because it's got the scans of the images in it, too. 
So you can go and look at what they were looking at if you think you found a typo. And I found a couple that I need to put into the the fixes to to submit back. So if you please, if you find anything that needs to be fixed up, please comment it up and get it out there because this is it. This is the source code to our firmware, man. Yeah. The, uh, we can fix um, the unraveled books, which are also right. awesome. <laughs> but we now have the unraveled unraveled. The uh, uh, the whole list of people that they're thanking, Duncan Smead and all the people from Dragon, but also a few other people too, like uh, Dave Plummer, who's an ex-Microsoft guy. He helped uh, push through getting this released uh, yep. as open source or you know available source. Yes, thank you all. This is, I mean, yeah, it's it's, a huge I, list. I told my wife this was Christmas in June. Yeah. Now, one thing I will mention from reading what 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 permission they got, they got the permission to release the source. So you can read it. They do not release the permission for you to copy it freely. Yep. Um, so, if you wanted to say have an write an emulator with this pre-installed, that is still a restriction. That you know, from a technical legal point, you still have to own the original ROM to legally do. So, this is just a release of the source to see how it worked type thing. It does have the hidden Microsoft message, you know, that they used on Commodore to yep. to find out they were stealing the ROMs. That's though it's not yep. labeled as such; it's labeled as something else. I can't remember. No, remember? it's part yeah. of the sine wave data table, and yeah. it's a little <laughs> two constants or something like that, wasn't it? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and they're bogus constants too. If you actually know how Taylor series sine stuff works, you look at the numbers, you go, "That doesn't make sense at all." And in the unravel <laughs> book, they're labeled as garbage, just garbage bytes. But uh, Michael Stiles' pagetable.com site has an amazing article on the Bill Gates Easter egg and where it was and how it works and things like that. And that was literally the first thing we started looking for as soon as I saw this. I'm like, okay, where are the bites? And we're like, you just start digging around. And sure enough, they're there. You know, yeah, they, they couldn't really right. comment those because the people that were you know transcribing Microsoft Basic for the various machines would sometimes let the the host company get take a look at the source. Like so, Commodore could have seen that if they saw that you know we put something in mm-hmm. there to make sure you didn't well, change. Yeah. Well, of course they would. Right? The way that it's hidden too, there's an extra Z in one command somewhere far far away that flips a byte that is what enables it. So even if it had mm-hmm. been commented, this is you know this is the Easter egg. <laughs> you still wouldn't have known what actually triggered it because of the way Bill Gates hit it. It's a pretty cool story. Yeah. So, so yeah. this is Bill Gates had a glass of wine and said, how can I mess with people? I yep. got it. Well, the, the way the story goes is that he had sold the rights to reproduce the basic to Tramiel at Commodore. Uh, it was his first big sale of this basic 65 code. And once he had sent it off, realized that it didn't have anything in it that actually said Microsoft had made it. And so they added that. And then that was, you know, for later versions that went to Commodore, including a patch, it was then included. But it was included in all the others, like the Apple Basics and things like the Oryx, whatever. It was included for those because he didn't want to make the same mistake twice. But that Commodore was the one that got away until Commodore came back for patches later. And then he kind of just slipped it in. <laughs> well, and that's why everything on the Commodore is a poke, because all they had was all they owned was standard basic. But they owned that forever. So they could sell standard basic till today if they still existed. <laughs> well, they did kind of relent 
when they came back to Microsoft for Basic 7 for the Commodore 128. But anyway, yeah. the pagetable.com page is great. Give it a read if you're interested in that. I mean, the, the Basic 65 is part of the lineage that led to Basic 68 and Basic 69, which became Extended Color Basic and Dragon Basic. So this is all, you know, family dirt, as it were, on yeah. the code. And then GW Basic was the next one after this, and that's where a lot of their, their play and draw commands came from the Cocos Extended Basic. That was the first implementation. Well, N60 Basic for the NEC Trek or NEC PC 6001 is also this, except the play statement has changed to work differently on that because they actually had an AY chip. We yeah. could have ended up with that same play statement in the, um, deluxe, the deluxe. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much, there's just so much hidden kind of stuff that went on right down in here in the in the source code and in firmware. Yeah. Like right now, uh on the stream, I'm showing the uh ECB GRP source code, and that's the graphics package. So this is all your draw commands and screen modes and P modes and all that kind of stuff. And everything's like fully labeled here. Like, you know, how do you draw a circle? How do you draw a box? How do you determine a bit mask for a color or whatever it happens to be? Um, so yeah, it's 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 fully commented more. It's it's better commented than the unraveled one, to be honest. Because the unravel one basically just you know does every single line. Here they have like you know entry parameters and specifically whatever routine's done in fairly explicit English as opposed to you know something cryptic. So yeah, it's a fascinating read. I have not had time to go through it as much as Alan has, but uh, I, I concur totally that it's it, it looks like a fascinating trip through history, really. Like here, speed lessens flicker in a mode switch. So they were worried about you know flickering on the screen from changing screen color sets too fast. So they actually did some stuff to specifically, you know, change the speed of routine. So that would happen less. Like they were actually considering some stuff. Fascinating stuff. Def definitely go check it out. Like I said, 95% of it applies to the Cocos as well. Uh, the dragon does have some specific stuff for some specific hardware they have, or, you know, the keyboard matrix is different for reading the keyboard, et cetera. But, and the awesome basic uh, tokenized differently, but yeah, it's and all relevant. Yeah, microcolor basic for the MC10 starts here as well. Yeah, it, it would be from this exact same era. So you know, it's I'm sure there's probably 95 percent there, plus the the difference in the keyboard characters and a couple of other things. But yeah, use the source, Luke. Yep, there's a lot of it. So have at her. <laughs> And lastly, we've got Julian Brown has got what he thinks is going to be the final uh, revision 2.1 of his Dragon. Uh, this is a 32 or 64. Karen's got one and he's got the other one. I think it's the Dragon 32. So anyway, he's been making this duplication of the board like Pedro has on the Coco stuff. So you can actually have it make new circuit boards that exactly match. Now, this is the end of his particular run of the 2.x series, which is basically to duplicate the original functionality with a couple minor things like making it easier to add in 64K RAM, for example, but, you know, cutting traces and stuff. So he's kind of future-proofed it a little bit to make it more upgradable. Now he's going to be moving on to, as he calls it, the more radical Rev 3. And that's where he'll be including quite a few extra things in there. And he's actually got some comment. I'm going to find his comment here, but he actually goes into a bit more detail what he's planning on for his Rev 3. Uh, I'm going to scroll all comments. Unfortunately, Facebook does not default. Just expand these stupid things so I could find it quick. 
And of course, now that I'm live and causing dead air time, I can't find the darn thing. Huh. Oh, wait, maybe it's in the previous two years. Nope. Oh, here. Let me do this. So he's planning on selling them at only his bare boards and just a way basically to recover the cost and avoid people ordering five to get one. Um, I have a new design and development that goes the extra mile, extra RAM, more video options and upgrades, internal expansion port. Still a dragon, but better. So that's the one he's kind of working as as a Rav 3. But this should be the final one to prove that everything is going to function as a Dragon 32. And if you just want a replacement motherboard for your Dragon 32, that would be the one to get. If you want one that's a bit expanded, so it's kind of a Dragon 3264 hybrid with some extra stuff thrown in, probably wait for the Revision 3. And that's it for the news this week. Wake up, everybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that was everything I had on my list. Everything I had on my list too. So, it was, I knew it was going to be a pretty long show, even without an interview, because we had two shows to cover: BCF Southwest and uh, Boat Fest. So, depending on what what type of things you do with your Coco, uh, one would be probably a bit more interesting to you than the other. But if you're into gaming, obviously Boat Fest is centered around gaming. If you're into the you know hardware history, et cetera, then uh, the VCF Southwest is probably more up your alley, but both shows would be great. So indeed. Okay. Lots of Ready? cool stuff. Yep. Ready for an outro? You betcha. Mm. Woo! This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Well, that was long. Long. It was, it was four hours. Barbecue yeah, Curtis. Pretty well, <laughs> standard. Standard Joe. <laughs> yeah. Plus side of four hours. Um, I will mention we still got the two interviews booked in August that you guys mentioned last week. I won't repeat them here at this time. I'll repeat them next week. But uh, I'm still trying to line up some interviews for July. So there might be some more to sneak in there. So we'll, we'll see. An action-packed summer. Awesome. All right. Okay. Anything to keep me indoors in air conditioning so I don't have to sit out that blistering. Which is what we did with our Cocos then, too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's pasty white boys. <laughs> well, except Taylor, for when Taylor you're crawling Amy people's roofs. Yeah. And breaking out windows accidentally when you're sliding down the roof. <laughs> Isn't oh, windows always broken? Oh, different windows, sorry. Ow. Please. <laughs> <laughs>
Mark, stop playing with the kitty. You know what happens when you play with the kitty. Stop being a food source for the kitties, what I would say after watching that. I mean, I'm, I'm getting all break. bit up and chewed up, and I think she's trying to tell me it's dinner time. Got pounced. <laughs> yep. Playing right. rough. Quit walking Let's on the keyboard the over there. All right. Bye, All right. everybody. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone. Bye. Bye.